All right, I'll forgive you for cheating. How are you feeling? Are you feeling better? Or are you still getting worse? I, now I feel terrible that I invited you on the show. No, no, I'm doing really good. It's one of those things where, like, I'm one of the, I'm someone who's only really sick at night, um, and like late at night, like nine o'clock, I'll feel horrible. But you know, for most of the day, I'm fine. So I'm using up the remaining hours of you. No, this good. is a lot of fun. <laughs> all right, well, we'll try to hurry up. No, not at all. <laughs> um, what do you want to start with? Uh, do you want to do the year in review stuff? Do you want to? Oh, I think we should probably save that. Let's save that. Okay. Let's do the. All let's right. talk about uh, topical news stuff. That's... Apple and uh, finally publishing AI. Yeah, there's that was that was that's you know I, they said they were going to do it and now they've done it so it's yeah. you know in some ways it's you know Apple does what they said they were going to do so it's not that big a deal but it's you know it's another step in the new Apple the open Apple right. Uh, absolutely. And what was hilarious to me is that uh, we talked about this on, on the talk show previously was Google got up at IO and instead of showing off a lot of the cool stuff that they're doing with AI, they basically reintroduced sequential inference from Siri from 2010 and everyone just lost their shit and said, you know, Apple's way behind and Apple's been doing this stuff since before Siri and they've been doing all sorts of different machine learning and they, and they just never spoke about it. And now they're sort of, it's become table stakes and Wall Street and everyone is judging you based on your AI performance. So now they have to get ahead of the story. Sequential inference is when you do something like, hey, well, hey, dingus, um, what what's the Dallas Cowboys record? And then Siri will answer and tell you that they're thirteen and two. And then you say, uh, "When do they play next?" Yeah. And Siri, you know, I don't know if that I don't know if that particular example works, but sequential inference. What do you call it? Sequential sequential inference. Inference yeah. is when, in other words, the sequential query Siri can infer what I mean when I say they. Yeah, like the classic example is what's the capital of Germany, and it'll say Berlin. You say what's the population? You don't have to say Berlin again right. because it remembers what you're talking about. Right, which is something that you don't. It, the reason I don't even know, I'm not, number one, I'm not an AI researcher. Number two, uh, the reason most people don't know the term sequential inference is because it comes naturally to human yep. beings. It's called having a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Right, uh, the, it's all part of their natural language, you know, ma whatever magic that they've got going on. Right. There's all sorts of things that we'll say, even in this conversation on the show, that taken uh, out of context as an individual sentence, somebody would say, well, I don't know what the hell they're talking yes. about, but it makes perfect sense in the midst of a conversation. And that's a very tricky AI problem. Yeah. And, you know, again, there was all this conversation about right now, uh, people are saying Amazon is far and away ahead in terms of natural language and voice uh, assistance. And we, we saw the story about Wynn Hotels installing Alexa right. in, in all, uh, you know, the Wynn and in... Uh, Encore. Encore. Uh, and yet, to some extent, because... But I, I think it's also greatly inflated by how much American tech pundits really love Amazon, because outside of the U.S. and the U.K. and now Germany since September, it, Amazon has absolutely no presence. Meanwhile, Apple and Google are doing multi-language and now sometimes multilingual, where you can switch from one language to another during a conversation, which is super important in some countries like Europe, even in Montreal. Uh, and so everyone is sort of ahead in different areas. And when you normalize it, it's, it's a super interesting area. Yeah, so we could segue right into the... <laughs> story about the win and encore. Yeah. Uh it's pretty interesting. Uh so the basic uh do we miss anything on the uh the other story? 
That... It was it was basically computer vision where they were trying to train. Uh, it's super hard to get right. to oh, take yeah, a human yeah. being and annotate images because you have to go yeah. through the image and tell the computer what everything is. So they're trying to use simulated images to identify enough that they can start implying what's in. So they start figuring out what's in the natural images. Right. But as I wrote, I think, and I, you know, I guess I agree with myself. Um, <laughs> The bigger news is not whatever the details of this particular paper. It's that uh, Apple's AI researchers are, in fact, publishing papers at all because Apple is a very secretive company. I don't know if you knew that. Um, (laughs) And they traditionally keep what they're working on to themselves until they have a product. And even when the product comes out, they don't really explain a lot. Often don't explain how it works. They just put it out for people to enjoy. Yeah, and that seemed to have changed radically, like right around WWDC when they started talking about computer vision and machine learning on stage. And then Tim Cook made comments about how they're using artificial intelligence to increase battery life. And Apple is one of the few companies that makes their own silicon. Like Samsung makes their own silicon, but they don't use it in all their phones. Apple does. So they can put stuff in the chip that does a lot of the stuff that you know other companies have to do in the software layer. Uh, and they've, they're deeply invested in all this technology. Yeah, there w- and there was a presentation recently that an Apple AI researcher gave. It, I think it was actually where the news came out that they're going to start publishing. And I know yep. that this this particular thing on the image recognition was part of the talk that was given. Um, and they were talking about like the the custom set of images that they have that's apparently way bigger than than like the standard one that's there's like an open source one i don't know if it's actually open source but effectively open that researchers can use and apple has like their own proprietary set of i don't know how many million images um but the big story the bigger story is that apple's publishing it at all because that the and i think this is true i think it's a very simple story which is that in the ai community it's a very academic community and much like the university world publishing is um it's how you get ahead professionally Mm -hmm. And so to take a job as an AI researcher at a company where you're not allowed to publish anything uh, is is sort of a dead end career-wise. So you, you, know, you, you could maybe throw money at the problem, but at a certain part, it, you know, for a lot of these professionals, you know, their career is more important than their salary. They're not in it for the money. Yep. I mean, no, the money's absolutely. nice. I'm sure that, you know, Apple's AI researchers are, you know, compensated very well. Um, you know, compared to like the me- median income of, of of an average citizen in the United States, um, but it, there's more to it than that. If you're if you're really are looking to cultivate a decades long career, publishing is fundamental to it. And apparently, Apple had a notorious reputation that it it you know like at conferences and stuff like that that AI researchers just it just wasn't a place that you go because you know you can't publish. Yeah, and, and it was similar this year's security. I mean, for years, Apple would just swallow up people who are experts at algorithms or you know some some form of advanced computing or, or product category that they wanted to do, and they would go into a black hole and you'd never hear about them again. And this year, they very slowly started letting Apple people, for example, pre- uh, present, Yvonne Christick presented at Black Hat this year for the first time. And now you have these papers being published, and it is becoming table stakes to acquiring and retaining the best talent. And if Apple can't or won't offer that as an option, other companies will. So I think it, it's become a competitive enough area that they have to relent. Yeah, actually, it wasn't the first time Apple presented at Black Hat. They presented a long time yes. ago, and it was a widely panned yeah. uh, talk because it was so empty. It was sort mm-hmm. of what you think like a secretive company would give. It's like, you know, it it, it was sort of like an empty uh, presentation. Now, years later, maybe like 10 years later, the presentation this year was a lot of people 
because of the last one, I, I saw a lot of coverage of it from Black Hat attendees. They like rolled their eyes and they're like, oh, this yeah. is going to be something. And then it ended up being a very, very serious, you know, informative talk. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like that's what you want for the top people in, in their respective fields, especially if it is something as new and exciting as AI, which a lot of people think is going to be one of the next big chapters in computing. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of AI, what in the news this week was this announcement you referred to that the Win and Encore in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, are going to equip all of their rooms, like about 4,800 rooms between the two, um, with uh, an Amazon Echo. Uh, when an encore, it's sort of one big resort. There's, you know, you can go between the one and the other without ever stepping outside. Uh, there's like a shopping mall between the two. Um, so it's sort of really, it's more like one property. It's just two different towers and, and slightly different themes between the two. Uh, it's a lot. 4,800 is a lot, a lot of rooms. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's interesting. Like my take on it is that we, you know, there's a lot of talk that hey it's early days of this voice driven ai stuff uh nobody's too late to the game like the fact that apple doesn't have a um standalone speaker type thing like the google home and the amazon echo doesn't mean that they're too late uh you know because it's so early it's sort of like how maybe you know smartphones in 2004 or 2005 the fact that apple didn't have one was didn't mean they were too late obviously in hindsight um and that the situation might be similar to, to that with voice. But, you know, 4,800, 5,000 of them in a hotel here, 5,000 in a hotel there. And all of a sudden, it's, you know, you can have a pretty entrenched market leader. Because it's also the sort of thing that, like, in a, a hotel room is not going to get replaced every year or every two years yeah. like, like a cell phone is. Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, again, it's one of those things that really depends on your point of view, because some people will look at the Amazon Echo or now the Google um, Home and say that Apple is super far behind because they don't have a home uh, hub, where with Amazon, if you have the Amazon Echo or the Dot uh, and you leave the house and then realize something's wrong, you can't just yell um, and and change whatever is on that device. It, it, where with Siri, it, it's it's super portable across a wide range, a wide range of different devices. And Google's Assistant, uh, it can be in the home, it can be on the phone, it, it's in all of those areas. And again, Amazon Echo only functions in I think two languages now and and th- three countries compared to multiple languages, uh, including Chinese and Hebrew right. for something like Siri. So you could look at it and say Amazon is super far behind because they don't have multilingual, they don't have multi device, they don't they're not mobile, they're not portable. An assistant that's not with you all the time is not a very good assistant at all. Uh, so it, it, all this stuff is very perspective-based, but I think this is sort of the exciting period where everything's being figured out. And the win is a huge, <laughs> it sounds stupid to say, but it's a huge win for Amazon. Uh, but again, like we, for me, it's like, what is what is the implication of all this? Is this a dumb terminal that's going to just parse voice commands and do a certain subset of features? Or there was a story in the information today about a court subpoenaing yeah. Amazon records <laughs> in a murder trial, and I'm going to have to worry about everything I say in a hotel room from now on. Yeah, I just was about to mention that. Um, well, and like I even wrote, you know, uh, it's in any hotel room. I think that a reasonable it's it's reasonable for somebody to to have privacy concerns about an always listening electronic device, uh, whether you're committing a crime or not. And in Vegas, in particular, there might be you know there might be more concerns than in other cities. Um, I don't think that's I don't think that's unreasonable in the least bit. So I'm I'm curious at a practical level what the win and encore will do if some a guest is checking in and says, I don't, I don't want that. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of that, uh, the citizen Four, the direct, the, uh, 
the movie, the documentary about Edward Snowden. And the, all these all these companies have technology. Like they they parse the voice locally until you say the command phrase, and then they engage the network. So it's not as if everything you're saying is streamed to Amazon. But we don't know if that can change, and we don't know if someone can order that to be changed. So it's sort of like when Edward Snowden sees that phone, and he starts taking it apart, and, and the reporter says, "But that phone's not on." And he goes, "Ha ha ha!" You know, as if that's the most uh, naive question in the world. Right. And you have to deal with. Yes, I understand that Amazon says or that the technology is built this way. I don't know who flipped a switch or forced them to flip a switch. And I, I can't understand the state of this device. Therefore, my only option is to disassemble it. Right. And I, you know, uh, uh, I, I have the Echo downstairs. And, and by default, you know, it's very, very simple. You just plug it in. You can unplug. If you unplug it, I'm pretty sure you're good because there's no battery in it. Um, and when you address it, uh, with the the you know whatever your catchphrase yeah. is, I think you have the choice with that. With the I, I use what do I use Alexa? I think uh, I think you can. I forget what else you can call it. You can call it like Echo or something. I don't know, but I call it Alexa. Uh, and then when Alexa starts listening, there's a blue ring that lights up, um, so you know okay now it's it's listening. Um, but it's always listening because otherwise, how would it hear Alexa? Yeah. They just they claim that it's locally listening only until it hears the phrase and then right. it enables network function. But again, in a post known world, I don't want to make any of these assumptions anymore. Right. And who is to say whether it a court order could force them to uh secretly I mean again, this sounds like paranoid stuff. Like yeah. if you told me I'd be talking about this ten years ago, I would have thought I was a nut. But I mean this stuff uh you know, this stuff has come to pass that these, you know, you get these, I forget what they're called, the the court order that in addition to having to comply with it, you're also not allowed to talk about it or to inform like yeah. your customer. Like, yeah, the national that, security letters. Right, national security letters. Like who's to say that they can't come to Amazon and either force them to, to make it listen without having the blue light light up or similar to the 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 Apple case from earlier this year, you know, like, what if the FBI has, or you know, whoever else, law enforcement, they have their own team of hackers who have a patch. You know, like yeah. you don't even have to. We're not even going to make you write it. We all we want, we just want to force this patch onto this guy's uh, uh, echo, or and a nation we, state, or a hacker just goes into the assembly line or smuggles right. themselves into the source code. You know, they just hide amongst the other programmers. It's right. if you don't bring the device into the room, your confidence level can never be a hundred percent about that device. Right. So it's you know yeah exactly especially you go into a hotel room who just to say that the device hasn't been diddled with by somebody you know not even even if you trust the wind the wind corporation completely who's to say that a previous guest hasn't been in totally I mean there are jobs where if your devices are ever out of your sight you just have to walk away you can never pick them up or touch them again uh, and you know Vegas are, are they going to have guests like that so I wonder how they're going to tackle no, those at the problems. same level who's to say that I mean if you're going to say that there's malfeasance who who are going to come in and hack the echo in the room who's to say that they didn't go in and and plant a bug a, just an old-fashioned bug underneath the bed or somewhere else where a housekeeping absolutely spot it so I mean, it's not it's not like it's entirely new, but why would they do this? Why would the wind do this? I've stayed at the wind uh, several times, where by several I mean many. Yeah. We stay there uh, every CES. I, if I went there for CES, I would definitely stay at the wind. I yep. would uh, if I ever go to CES, and it's a perennial topic on the. On the I'm not going this year. I, this year it was impossible for for personal reasons. Here I've got to, I cannot be away in early January, but. Um, I, every year I say, boy, one of these years I'd like to go to CES just because – not because I think it would be great. I think it, I, I think for all the reasons that people in the press complain about it, 
be bad, but I think it's something to see, and I don't think it's going to last forever. And so I kind of want to see it while it is still a thing. But anyway, I would say it win for sure because it's my A, it's my favorite uh, place in Vegas, and B, it's reasonably walkable to yeah. um, to both the convention center, which is a bit of a hike from the win, and it's right next door to the Sands Convention Center, which is next, which is part of Venetian, where there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, you'd, and it's so close to the Venetian that you'd be nuts to take a cab. You'd, you yeah, know, absolutely. You'd, you'll, it'll take you 20 minutes longer than it would take you to walk. So and they annex more and more hotels every year. So one day it'll just be in the, in the wind. <laughs> I doubt it. I don't think the wind would, I think the wind would turn it, turn the business down. Probably. Honestly, I don't think they want the riffraff. Uh, but anyway, I've been there many times and they actually recently, I think within the last year, I think only the last time I was there, did they have the new setup, but they replaced, there used to be a console next to one side of the a bed that would control the drapes. What do they call them? The shears. So you yeah. could like let light in, but have, you know, like shear things so nobody could see through the window uh, and the various lights in the room. So you control the lights, you control the drapes and the shears with this touch thing they recently replaced them with a sort of new one that still looks sort of 80s ish it looks like really high-end consumer electronics from the 80s um i can't help but think that maybe that's part of how this is possible though that they they got these new ones that are more at least sort of computerized rather than purely electronic so that alexa you know that they can write some kind of custom app to to have it happen um and, you know, the Wynn is supposed to be, you know, the nicest place in town. I think it is the nicest place. It's a high-end hotel. Yeah. It's sort of annoying, if you think about it, if you're in bed with uh, another person, that only one of you has those controls on their side. You know, Yeah, it can be a sore spot. Right. It's, you know, and like for us, it's it's not like an argument of, you know, we all, with me and Amy, it's I always sleep on the left, she on the right. I mean, and this is, I don't know, geez, 20-some years, and that's, that's set in stone. Um but like a lot of hotels, it's like when you stay there, it's like every other room is every other side. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a 50% chance who's got the, the thing. Uh, so just being able to address Alexa and say, hey, open the, the drapes, is that'd be way nicer. That'd be, that'd be 10 times nicer. And plus, honestly, the buttons don't even work half the time you touch them. Yeah. So I think it'd be great. And with the lights and stuff like that, every time you go to any hotel, I mean, like I stay at the Wynn, you know, at least once a year, and I still get confused over which lights control, which which buttons control yep. which lights. So, to their credit, I mean, Amazon made Alexa a very open platform, and it's, it seems, you know, I'm not a developer, but it seems relatively easy to sort of add these these automations and these customizations to it. And they've got a lot of, I forget what they call them, recipes or formulas or, or, or what the nomenclature is, yeah. but to sort of add these control points to them for different features and services. Yeah. But here's what's weird, and I have a friend, uh, Hunter, who uh, has a, a great app, if you ever go to Vegas, Vegas Mate. Uh, just, it's just sort of like a... And, you know, like a tour guide type thing. like, And you can just plug in. Uh, AI has news, so you can find out what's going on in Vegas if there's anything new going on. So there's lots of news and uh, how to get between places and stuff like that. Anyway, it's a great app. Go check it out if you're in Vegas. Vegas app. Vegas mate. Um, he pointed out immediately after I he read Staring Fireball, he, he quest, you know pointed out immediately the, the Wind Corporation's biggest investments by far aren't in Vegas. They're in Macau. They actually have like two two separate resorts in Macau. I don't really understand the layout of Macau quite, but there's like a waterway between the two parts of town, and there's resorts on both sides, and Wynn has one on each side. 
So it's way bigger. It's way, it's way, the casino revenue is way bigger over there. Um, they obviously aren't going to equip those rooms with the Alexa because like you pointed out, they don't speak, they don't speak Chinese yet. Uh, yeah, no Cantonese, no Portuguese, none and of those things. they don't even officially support um, locations in English outside the United States. I mean, you can get it to work, and I know people have complained. Of, you know, when I pointed this out, people are in other countries. Well, I have one, and just cheat and you know have it yeah. work. But you can't do things like get the weather because you have to give it like a, a zip code in one of the countries they do support. So you know, you, you can set it up and use it if you live in Taipei, like Ben Thompson. But it you know gives them the weather for Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. And some people say it's trivial for them to roll out additional languages and dialects, you know, but, but that's years and years of work that Apple and Google have put in that Amazon has invested in something else and the opportunity cost is huge. So yeah, the, a, anything could be trivial given enough money and, I'm, and resources. I'm skeptical but, of anything in AI being called trivial. Sure. You know, ship it and let's see. Absolutely. No, totally agreed. Uh, and so, again, things like the multi-language, which they started doing on Apple TV, where you can ask for a movie in French with a title in English. I mean, just understanding that problem set of when does one language start, when does one begin, when does it end again, what's the time? I mean, those, those are all non-trivial problems. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, too, how they're going to do it. Like, presumably, it they're not going to have you use your own Amazon ID I don't think you would need it though. Like, there's no, you know, they'll just pay some Amazon some sort of group rate, massive group rate for access to Amazon Music, so that you can tell your Alexa to play music, and you don't, yeah. you know, it's not going to tell you to to log in or whatever. Um, I, I'm just curious though. It, it just it seems, you know, because it is per, sold as a personal device. I'm curious how it will work as sort of an institutional device. Well, that was one of the things I heard about a potential Apple Home Hub is that one of the things that, that needed to be solved for was a multi-personal Siri. Because if, let's say, for example, you have one at home and you say, "What's my? what are my messages? Does it play your right. messages, Amy's messages, Jonas's messages? Like, solving those problems are also non-trivial uh, if you want to have the deep level of integration and the full range of services that something like Siri offers. So uh, you, know, you can do rudimentary account switching like they do on Apple TV right now, but that's that's not a full-featured product. And make, making a multi-personal Siri is... Uh, I think, key to what they want to do in the living room. That's probably why it's taking a little bit long. But it's, it's also interesting because when you look at Amazon's businesses, like you said, in Macau, uh, it's, it's not clear to me that Amazon has m much of a roadmap in China. They have established internet companies and retailers I in China to begin with, where you know maybe Apple or maybe Google have, have a better story to tell there. And if you don't have something that can truly scale internationally, uh, this can go with you when you travel. Like, I'm, I'm in London right now, and I need my assistant, and where is it? Or I'm in Germany today, or I'm, you know, I'm in Spain, I'm in Northern Africa – all those things are, are, aren't necessary until they are. And I think that's why it, it's, it's, it was a better decision to sort of scale a little bit internationally before we started going deeper in terms of APIs and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious, you know, where it's going to go. But clearly yeah. the end solution, it needs to be, I mean, we're, we are in some ways early, so early days. I don't care what anybody says because clearly – where this is going to go, and somebody will get there. It's it's inevitable, and I think you know it, it'll be sooner than later. Um, is truly a, a personal assistant quality conversation where mm -hmm. you never have any question that the sequential infer inference is going to work, and that things that you think, everything you think that your assistant could do for you, they definitely can do. So if you say get us a reservation at the, the Palm at nine o'clock tomorrow night, 
it's going to know that you mean the Palm in Vegas. You know, I'm saying if you're in a yeah. hotel in Vegas, it, you know, it knows that it's not going to ask you what city, uh, it, and it's going to make the res either make the reservation or tell you that you can't because there's no you know no times available. You can have nine thirty. Will nine thirty work for you? Yes, that's fine. And then you get the nine thirty reservation. Everything you think a human, you know, anything you could communicate with a human. Uh, you should be able to do with these. And in the same way that if you and I were working in a shared office together, that I could say, what are my messages? And you could say, what are my messages? And that it's going to know who we are. You know, it's, it's going to be able to tell in the same way that a human is never going to be confused over my voice and your voice. Neither yeah. is, is the, the, the personal assistant. Yeah, I spoke about this before, but I, Nuance has an office in Montreal, and they went there for one of their demos, and they were showing technology like that. And it's super. It, it was about two years ago. And it was super primitive. Basically, you snapped your fingers twice, and three cameras and three beamforming microphones locked in on you, and then would isolate you from the room as you walked about saying things. Hmm. And that's obviously not a consumer product yet, right. but it was one of the problems. And also driving between cities when there's no internet connection. Right now, as we saw people commenting about the AirPods, if you lose the internet connection, the functionality of a lot of these virtual assistants goes away because they're still incredibly server-based. So there's all these problems that they're solving for. And it, it could be like that movie, Her, uh, where Scarlett Johansson is in your AirPods. Right. Uh, I don't know if you saw it or not, but there was that video that I still don't know if it's a real product or not, but it was that Japanese um, Azuma Hikari virtual assistant where it was like a little animated person in a in a display case that was in your house talking to you as your friend so you were not lonely and mm. then would follow you to your phone and to your computer throughout your day and then get your you know get your house ready for you when you came back at night. Uh, which is quasi creepy, but it's the sort of stuff people are working on. Yeah. I just realized I think I've like two or three episodes of the show, and I I keep passing this forward in my show notes from one show to another. Follow up on Mario Run, where I forget if it was two shows. I think it was two shows ago, where uh, we were saying that you if if you don't log in to a Nintendo account, you have to pay again to get it, and that's not true. It ends up yeah. no, you you. You can just restore the purchase on the same ID. You don't have to have a Nintendo account. You can put it on your iPad and your phone. Yep. Um, but one of the things that they do do uh, is you can only run one at a time per Apple ID. So if you buy it on your iPad and you buy it and you and then you install it on your iPhone, and somebody's playing it on your iPad, you can't play it on your iPhone. That's one. That's part of the reason that they require always on internet checking or access is that they're checking for things like that. Yeah, I think in their perfect world, you'd have to pay for every instance that you run. <laughs> yeah. The talk show, the show where we do follow up halfway into the show. Yep. Um, yeah, you know what else I saw about Mario Run uh, before we break for the first time is that it is um, falling off the top selling, falling yeah. down the top the top grossing list. Uh, around the world still on it but it's now back things have been order has been restored and clash royale or whatever the hell it is, is yeah. now back to being the top grossing app yes Cl clash royale pokemon go clash of clans mobile strike game of war madden nfl and then at number seven here in the u.s at least is super mario run netflix yeah, one-time purchase can't compete with uh consumables consumables that people are buying all the time right that, and these games that people are truly addicted to. Yeah. Um, Candy Crush, all the way down at number 10. I saw someone playing that on an, a 12.9-inch iPad Pro on my last plane trip. Respect. I love, the thing I love is that Minecraft is still at number 11 on top grossing. And it's still, it's firmly entrenched at number one on top paid. 
And that's came out for Apple TV. It's seven bucks. You just pay seven bucks up front. There is no demo. You pay seven bucks. You get Minecraft on your iOS device. And they're doing so. It's the only only app making money with that, the old-fashioned pay-for-the-app model. I mean, effectively, that's what Mario is, but it's, you know, no doubt. Yeah, I think in hindsight, they would have been better with a Minecraft model. It's just because their brand is as good as Minecraft. People know what Minecraft is, and they want it. And again, the Apple TV version just came out, and people wanted that too. And they would have just wanted Mario. Mario, Right, what if you had to pay? Right, I would love to run that alternate universe where, all right, so let's take the price down, right, if you have to pay. So instead of nine nine, you know, play three levels and then pay nine ninety nine. What if they just matched Minecraft's price and sold Mario Run for six ninety nine? Yeah, and you, you get and rid you of get, you get and, and if you if you don't pay six ninety nine, you get nothing and like it. Yep, and you can't leave bad reviews about how much you right. charged an yeah, app, and it's just no such bad reviews. Experience. Yep, man, if anybody could have pulled it off, it's a Nintendo. I I can't help but think that they'd have made more money. I really do. Yeah, I think they're one of the few people who like Minecraft who would absolutely have the, the just the recognition to do it. Right. I really, once you get the good faith, you could do that with your next game and so on. Right. Or maybe split it. I, I do, and I salute them, and I don't want to complain. I salute them for not even going near the radioactive pile of dog shit that, yeah. you know, buying, paying a dollar here and there for extra coins, and you have to watch a video before you can do the next level or pay your way out that these other games do. I salute Nintendo for not doing it. I'm not surprised. I think that would be poisonous, absolute poison to their brand. But it's obviously that's the path to make money, you know, the most money on the App Store. I salute them for not doing it, but I can't help but think that they could have made money with paid up front for less than nine ninety nine, and maybe one other in-app purchase in the, you know, some way to something else that was cut off that you'd have to pay another, you know, maybe $5 for the game and 5 for the rest, something like that. Yeah, or one of the different games that comes built into it, like the Toad Rally or something. Right, like maybe you get to play five ninety nine. You get to play all the regular levels, and for another five ninety nine, you get to play the Toad Rally, and yeah. they'll give you a taste of Toad Rally, like they did with the taste of the levels. Like you get like three Toad Rallies before you have to pay another five ninety nine, and then you're and then four ninety nine, and then you're done. You're in for you know not ten bucks, and you got the whole game. I think that yeah. they'd have made more money. And I think it would have given a better experience. They wouldn't have had the same problem they had with bad reviews, and it would have it would have been, right. I mean, way better than. I think the review. I think it would be a five star game. I really do. Uh, agreed, because the people who would buy pay that much money are the super fans, and they would have yeah. had a much easier boost in the beginning. It's the first action game for iOS that I've played ever. I think that I've stuck with. I mean, I played Cannibal a little bit. Yeah, I was about to say. Cannibal, but Cannibal is like 90 seconds. And I mean, the best I ever did was like 4,000 meters or something like that. So it's like, you know, and then once you get a good run like that, you're like done. Yep. I mean, there are games. I always say I don't play games. I, I play the, uh, I've played the Stickman Golf a little bit. I played the, de- I like the Desert Golf, which is sort of, do you ever play that? Yep. Uh, I, I like the Desert Golfing. I think it's, I think it's sort of, uh, uh, it's, it, it it's artful. It's it's sort of like meditative. I, I, letterpress and threes and a bunch of those puzzle games. Yeah, were fun. letterpress. Yeah, threes. I got into a little, but it was real quick. I appreciate the artistry of it. Letterpress. I had a brief obsession with, and I was. Yeah. I hate to brag, but I was really, really good. Um, uh, but it's it's too competitive. I don't know, yeah. or too too time consuming. And I feel guilty then when I because it's with other people. I feel guilty when I drop off and leave a, a good game hanging. 
you know, it was too, too time consuming to me. So yeah, I, and you never knew when Game Center just did it to you. Like you couldn't tell if they weren't playing or Game Center wasn't right, playing. Right, right. Uh, but Mario, boy, I like that game. And I've, I've started replaying it. Yeah. I, and I thought really, people were nuts. Nintendo does best. They made it. Yeah. So I beat all the levels, and now I'm going through and collecting all the pink coins on each level. I don't think I'm going to keep going. I yep. think I'll do that, but I can't see going after the damn purple ones. I, I don't know about that. I'm not good enough. They just do a really good job of matching the game to the control mechanics that are available on the device. And they did that with the iPhone as well, which I thought was really great. Yeah, totally. I, it's a very, very, you know, you think Infinite Runner, ah, it's simple, but they've it's it's pretty damn good. Yep. I do think they messed up with the uh, the pricing. All right, I'm let's take a break. To. All right, our first sponsor. Are you ready for it? It's very exciting. First sponsor is Casper. Casper. They're the company that make obsessively engineered mattresses at shockingly fair prices. Go to casper.com slash the talk show and use code the talk show to save 50 bucks towards your mattress. But there's an asterisk. Let me tell you the ask. I'll tell you what that means. It's a footnote that I'll tell you at the very end of this. Casper has created one perfect mattress. You don't have to decide between different types of mattresses. What if you want springs or you want memory foam or you want latex foam or something like that. Now, you don't want that. They've got one type of mattress. It is it is a blend that their engineers have spent thousands of hours developing it. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams for a sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. It's exactly like the reason I like buying Apple products. You don't have to decide between 20 different types of of phone or something like that. They just they they give you one. They figure out this is the here. Here's two sizes. Here's one type of phone. Two sizes, you're done. That's what mattresses. That's what the mattresses from Casper are like. One quality style of mattress. You just pick how big your bed is, and you go. And because they don't have stores, they don't have middlemen, they don't have warehouses around the world and stuff like that. Um, they can sell them direct to you at a shockingly fair price. This is such a better way to buy a mattress. Um, premium mattresses usually start at over $1,500. Casper mattresses cost just $500 for a twin, $750 for full, $850 for queen, and just $950 for a king. You cannot buy a king-size mattress for $950 that's a good mattress anywhere else. It just can't. It can't be done. And they're made right here in America. Uh, they've also made buying mattresses online easy and completely risk-free. No, you can't try it before you buy it because you're buying online. But... They have a 100-night home trial. Get it, keep it for three months, and if you don't like it, they will come and pick it up at your house and give you a full refund, no questions. Uh, they also have a new pet mattress if you have a dog. And I have had more reader comments or listener comments, whatever you want to call you people listening to me, from people who bought this thing for their dog, uh, that their dog loves it. Now, here's the, here's the deal. You use that code to talk show. You save 50 bucks towards a mattress. Here's the bad news. It only applies to human mattresses. You, the dog mattress costs less, and so they, they don't give you 50 bucks off for it. So I'm sorry about that, but it's a heck of a dog mattress. And I'm telling you, I got more comments from people who've bought that than anything else. So go to casper.com slash the talk show. Use that code. If you need a mattress, I'm telling you, that's where to go. I never thought I'd be selling mattresses. I really didn't. It's one of my favorite sponsors. Just makes me... Yeah. Just, it's Casper as a sponsor. Oh, they're amazing. 
It just makes me, but it just, it, I just, if you went back and told me 15 years ago that you're going to be pitching mattresses on like a radio show, I would, <laughs> I wouldn't have believed it. I just don't, I didn't, I didn't see it. I wouldn't have seen the path from where I was to, to where I am at this moment and where the, I've been is. using one for like three years now. I still love it. Yeah. It's a great mattress. It's a yep. great mattress. I'm telling you. It's not just being lazy. You know, I think if anybody out there thinks, ah, it's for lazy people who don't want to go to a mattress store. No, it's a better way to get a great mattress. Yeah. Uh, and, and What? You tell me. I was going to say, good mattresses are really hard to find because when no. you, after you've had a bunch of physical physiotherapy like I have, you want something that is actually pretty firm because then when you relax, it takes on your body weight and your body, your muscles don't have to stress the entire night trying to support your own weight. Uh, and this one I find is great because I, I get a better night's sleep than I have on any of the traditional mattresses I've bought. <laughs> uh, all right. What else is on our agenda? I have uh, in the news there was Mark Gurman's blockbuster story. Yeah. Well, it wasn't really, but it was widely cited last week at Bloomberg. Title: How Apple Alienated Mac Loyalists, and it had did have some, you know, it was well reported. Definitely had some quotes anonymous. Um, how how would you summarize this story? This was this was the big story of the day when it came out on December twenty. I mean, Mark has proven phenomenal uh, sources, but so much of this is how you string the pieces together. Uh, and, you know, I, I, would, I would read similar information differently. So uh, this, this sort of paints a narrative where Apple is negligent or lackadaisical when it comes to supporting the Mac. And my understanding is more that, you know, what, you have two kids, you love them both. One has become Taylor Swift, and you have to make sure that you're on tour with her. Uh, and the other one is a college student in grad school doing pretty great on his own, doesn't really want you hanging around all the time. And you, again, you still love them, but you're giving each of them the attention that they really need at the moment. Uh, and I think that Here's narrative fits from the same the, facts. Quote from the article, interviews with people familiar with Apple's inner workings revealed that the Mac is getting far less attention than it once did. Once did. They say the Mac team has lost clout with the famed industrial design group led by Johnny Ive and the company, and the company's software team. They also describe a lack of clear direction from senior management, departures of key people working on Mac hardware, and technical challenges that have delayed the rollout of new computers. There's a lot in that paragraph. This is the fourth paragraph of the story, but I feel like that's the nut paragraph. And if you pick it apart, I haven't linked to it because it seemed it's been Christmas and I've been busy, um, and it seemed impossible to link to without extensive commentary. Yes. Like you got to unpack it, right? There's no way to link to it with a quip or to let it stand. But it to you know, and I thought, well, it's better to I could do it on the on the show in a way that's better, you know, that'll take less time than writing about. It. I still might write about it, but um, all right. First sentence of that paragraph: Interviews with people familiar with Apple's inner workings reveal that the Mac is getting far less attention than it once did. When is than it once did? Yeah, I mean, it used to be one product. There was just the Mac, and it got all the attention. And now there's it, five, six different products. Right. So it, if if we're talking about like pre iPod Apple, or like pre two thousand four two thousand five Apple, of course the Mac got more attention then because it was keeping the company afloat. The yeah. Mac was Apple, and Apple was the Mac. I mean, it was there was you know without the Mac, the company was literally there wasn't there was no company. So of course it gets less attention than it does did then. Now, does he mean some other time? Does, does he like mean, compared to last year? Right, 2011, 2012? Uh, uh, is this a... And, you know, it, it, let's just state facts. These are There are 
the fact is the Mac Pro is a, a, a literally a relic at this point. Yes. It is a three-year-old high-end $5,000 to $20,000 workstation that literally hasn't been updated even in minor the most minor components possible in three years. Since the it Mac, launched, yeah. The Mac Mini is is a relic. And for enthusiasts, and the Mac Mini is one of these devices, is a device where, you know, obviously there's some people who buy it because it's a budget lap desktop. And if you want to buy a third-party display, or at this point, you might be stuck buying a third-party display. We'll get to that in a second. Um, or a discount display, or if you've yeah. already got a display, and that's, you know, part of, you know, you just want to buy a desktop to hook up to the display you already have, and you're cost is an issue. Mac mini is the way you go. It's still a fine device for that. But for the enthusiasts, and there are people who are, you know, like, like, you know, power users, if you want another term who buy Mac minis, maybe not to use as their main computer, but for really super nerdy things, you know, like instead of having an Apple TV, they use a Mac mini and install their own software and run their home entertainment from a PC and the Mac mini is, is great for that. Uh, longtime sponsor of the show, Mac mini colo. There's people who use Mac minis to, to host websites. It's a great little like mini rack server. Um, and for those people, the current Mac mini is actually worse than the predecessor because it's, uh, I think it's a dual core thing instead of a quad core. It's whatever it's, it's just got low, you know, internals that are less interesting to enthusiasts than the old one. Uh, the iMac, which is their, best desktop and it's the one that tim cook even called out and mentioned by name in a recent company q a um skipped a year it still is mm-hmm. great it's a great the current imac is a great great device uh but there were no updates in 2016 uh nope and apple is apparently out of the standalone display game uh they haven't said so officially but they certainly hinted as much on stage at the mac book pro event in October when they said they partnered with LG to have these LG 5k and 4k displays, uh, that are clearly meant to, you know, by default, assume that they're being connected to a Macintosh. Uh, yeah. And my understanding is there's significant Apple engineering uh, resources and effort dedicated to those displays. They just didn't have an Apple enclosure and logo on them, right? which is a and, curious choice. You know, and everybody cites Neelai because Neelai says uh, Patel from the verge after his product briefing after the event said categorically when he asked that Apple said they're out of the display game. I asked in my, you know, as well, does the LG mean that Apple is not going to make a retina standalone display? And I did not get an answer that was unequivocal. I, it, the answer I got was something more or less, uh, it's a very typical, uh, oftentimes when you ask a question like that, I don't think Apple's unique in this regard, but they, they, they you always have a, prepared answer it doesn't they don't have to think of it on the spot but it's not yes or no but with the answer i got of does this mean there's not going to be an apple branded retina standalone display the answer was this is what we have to talk about today uh standalone displays today require so much uh engineer it's no longer just a video signal uh, going from one thing to another. It's not just, you know, it's effectively, they're like many computers. It's almost as much work as developing a standalone system. Which Apple, again, which Apple did most, a lot of with LG. Right. And my, my understanding is that this is one of those things where they're, they're deeply conflicted internally, that they're wrestling over this. That some right. people believe that Apple does not have to make everything anymore, that they have to be focused and make hard choices and choose which parts of the chain they want to be involved with. And other people believe rightly, well, at least in their opinions, 
that the the display is your interface to the computer. The interface is what the customer sees. And if there's no Apple logo on that, then the customer sees LG, and it sort of ruins the effect, and it ruins the benefit of the halo effect that Apple's been enjoying for all these years. And if they're staring at an LG logo for their display, maybe it's easier to buy an LG computer, or it's easier to buy, you know, maybe they're getting out of the router business, it's easier to buy an LG router, and that sort of unravels the value of the Apple ecosystem they've been building. Yeah, and it's you know I, I I can't put it better than Syracuse has repeatedly on ATP that it's you know he's even said that he's never even owned a non Apple display in his life. Uh, that's not true for me. I I used to have a, a ViewSonic uh, seventeen inch I bought in nineteen ninety eight. Was a nice display. Was not as nice as the Apple displays. I bought it because. Yeah. I didn't have enough money. Well, I the money it was enough difference that I I bought the ViewSonic instead. Um, it does hint at the idea that maybe the future of Apple on the desktop is iMac only, or maybe iMac and Mac Mini, but that the Mac Pro might be on the way out. Simply, be- yeah, Tim Cook's statement to me was hard to parse because he right. talked about how great the iMac was and how great its display was and its P3. Uh, but you, you, there was nothing you could have said about the Mac Pro or the Mac Mini. They're thirteen-year-old, they're three-year-old computers with Haswell. I mean, it would have been completely awkward to mention them in any context. And the worst part is the last iterations of both made them even more like computing appliances and and even harder for users to update on their own, which made them dependent on Apple for future updates, which then didn't didn't come. That's an incredibly uncomfortable message to have in his year-end Q&A with his employees. Right. It's a tough situation. Like You can't read too much into it either way, except that there's some... There are, there are, the only thing I could read into it, it, it's Tim Cook's statement on the Q&A that I would say is bet on it, is that there's going to be great, or at least you know, in somebody's opinion, great new IMAX coming. Um, because otherwise, it, yeah. what he said is you know he's is a lie, right? His credibility, and he there's you know he he has obviously got to be measured and careful in his words, and he knows that this Q and A is going to leak if there's anything newsworthy. Um, but he's not going to you no matter how cynical you want to be about it, he's not going to say something that's flat out going to ruin his credibility with his own employees. So let's just say in the hypothetical world that people fear that Apple is simply yep. done with desktop computers, period, and that it's MacBooks only the rest of the way. Uh, well, then what he said is, it, it, in hindsight, is going to make people think it's, a, it's just a flat-out lie, and he's not going to do yep. that. So there's got to be IMAX no. coming. There has to be. And he says desktops plural, but does that mean two sizes right. of iMacs or does that mean iMac? And, and it's very interesting because when you when you actually look at the numbers, Apple, very, 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 very few people connect external displays to their Macs. Right. Uh, and I, I believe the number is smaller than ever. And also very, 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 very You mean very, to their MacBooks? Few, you mean to... to to, to yeah to well, yeah to their MacBooks. Well, it's, well you said Macs. MacBooks. Obviously, if yeah, you've got I a apologize. Mac, if you've got a Mac Pro, <laughs> I mean, totally, you- <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but on the flip side of that, almost nobody buy like again, almost nobody buys desktop Macs anymore. The the vast, vast, vast majority of what they sell are MacBooks. When we vote with our wallet, we are telling them as customers that we care mostly and by a vast majority about the notebooks. Uh, and that's that's sort of something they have to weigh because they only have enough resources to do this or that. And they say that most of their customers are buying uh, MacBooks and most of them aren't buying um, displays to go with them. Do they stop making displays? Do they stop making desktops? I'd argue that no, that they're important enough that they have to keep making them anyway, but it's not like we have the numbers on our side for those. Right. Uh, so if there is a new Mac Pro that is in the works and is coming, 
there's no way that Tim Cook can say anything about it in this Q&A now. He yeah. can't. Uh, if there's not, if the Mac, po- Mac Pro is end of life, he can't say anything. He can't say that because they're still selling the old one. Now, why yeah. are they still selling the old one? I don't know. But maybe it's you know they're in theory they could let's just say that they're 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 going to rethink the whole approach to the pro market and they're going to do effectively an iMac Pro that the new Mac Pro is like the iMac but uh, it's you know the space gray and has higher end uh, you know Xeon processors or something yeah. like that now put aside how do you do that and have deal with the heat dissipation that's their problem but if that's uh, hypothetically where they're going with the pro market is devices you know built all in ones with pro performance um they have to keep the old mac pros around until those are ready to sell they can't have a gap yeah, I mean, they did announce well, the end of life of the gap, old Thunderbolt display. Going. Yeah, right. uh, but that again, that raises all these questions about what's happening with the product line. That they probably don't want to answer right now. Right. Um, you know, they still can't talk about it. But anyway, that's the first sentence of that paragraph. Yeah. They say the Mac team has lost clout with the famed industrial design group led by Johnny Ivan and the company software team, which is a weird combination. I don't understand what they mean has lost clout. It doesn't make sense to me. Like they don't, because yeah, there's no. I mean, there are Mac te- like there's a Mac marketing team, but like Apple doesn't have like a, a Mac business unit, and they don't right. have an iPhone business unit. And you know, uh, Dan Riccio still has to build all these machines, and Johnny Ives team has to design them all, and Craig Federighi's team has to make software to run on all of them. And yes, those teams are highly focused on iPhone because iPhone absolutely has to ship every year, or it's company crushing. Uh, but it, those people are still working on Macs and care desperately about Macs. And my understanding is that a, a lot of the recent design meetings have been about Macs. So I, again, I, I I don't understand the context of all the information. I don't know what it means to have lost clout. Like what what it, where what would the evidence of that be? I mean, and the only you know, it, it, the only way it would make sense is if there are new Macs ready to go, other than having an industrial design. <laughs> and uh, and that Johnny Ive team is like, nah, we're not interested. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. That's not how it works. Well, I mean, it's, not it's like, such a dependent product. It's not like Johnny Ive's. Like the design team just is like a bunch of uh, you know hipsters sipping coffee, wearing berets, and they just work on what they want to work on. And like, ah, Macs are boring. We're not going to work on those. We're just going to work on we're going to work on. Uh, well, we are not making your Macs this year. Go home. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't Snooty get mind. it. There aren't. It, you know, the, the the problem is, as I said, the fact is that they're. Too many of the Macs haven't been updated, period. It's not like they haven't gotten attention. And the ones that have been updated, the MacBook, I know the MacBook hard, the, this year's MacBook isn't a new design, but it came out last year. And this year's MacBook Pros, uh, obviously, had a lot of work done by the industrial design team. It's all new enclosures. It's in, it, it are very different. It's yeah. not just like the old ones, but thinner. The entire hinge mechanism for the display is entirely different. I, I've... We'll get to this later, but I've been messing around with older a whole bunch of MacBooks this week running battery tests. And with a bunch of them open at the same time and going between the two and restarting tests, it's, it's, it's more clear than it was even when I reviewed the new MacBook Pro how much nicer the hinge is on the new one. And it how is, rigid they are. It, but like when you tilt it, if it's already at an angle for sitting and then you're like, I've been running these battery tests where I'll come by and update them and I don't even sit down. 
uh, and I, but I want to tilt the screen just a little to, so it's more of an angle for standing. And when you do it on the new MacBook Pro, the screen, you just put in a little one finger and a little yeah. bit of pressure and it tilts back. And on my 2014 MacBook Pro, I do it. And at first, the whole device lifts off the table. You know, it's it's more stiff. It's it's not as nice. Anyway, that's all. That's exactly the sort of thing that Johnny Ives' famed industrial design team does is design a fancy new hinge that's way better than what was already the best hinge on a professional notebook in the world. Totally. And a more rigid unibody and was already a very, very good unibody right. structure. Right. Exactly. A entirely new keyboard switch system. You know, yeah. I... I, I I don't get it. And then there's this other half of the sentence and the company's software team. I I, I don't I don't get it. And this to me has been uh and again, I'm worried. I do worry and I'm trying to be in this whole, you know, is Apple abandoning the Mac or slowly sunsetting the Mac or just, you know, ruining the Mac, whatever, uh debate. Which obviously does have some foundation in fact, the fact that the hardware hasn't been updated. One of the things I like to cite, I feel like it's it it's not proof, but evidence to the contrary, is the annual update schedule that Mac OS has been on for yep. the last few years. Like, you know, in two thousand seven, famously uh, a Mac the first uh, year of the iPhone, the Mac they had to put out a press release because they had announced that the new Mac OS was going to be ready at WWDC. And they put out a press release that it's delayed five months because we had to pull so many engine, so much engineering talent to work on the iPhone OS, uh, as it was called then. Uh, it, there's obviously enough attention on a Mac now that the Mac is on the same annual update cycle as iOS. It's, yeah. you know, I don't see it. And it's getting features, and it's getting important features like the continuity ones where you can use Touch ID or the watch to unlock it or to verify payments. It got Siri uh, brought over to it. Uh, and there, there is some truth to Apple reorganizing their teams, and a lot of those teams are iOS-centric. Uh, but when you look at Mac and iOS, what differentiates them is their input methods and their interface. And Apple is, I think, wisely consolidating a lot of the things that go on under the covers. Like when you look at Swift, that's across all platforms. Apple File System is going to go from Apple Watch all the way to yeah. Mac Pro. Uh, all the things that they're building, like one day, you know, maybe App. I don't know how long AppKit will be around for, but it might make sense to have sort of a UI framework that, that crosses over both platforms. All that stuff can be made with one team and, and could benefit both platforms without them, without you having to micromeasure how many people are doing each one. Right. And then there's my next argument in the I'll – I'll argue the side of Apple as – Apple is, is still putting an awful lot of thought and attention into Mac is the touch bar, which is at a, at a hardware level – a fascinating uh it's not really a device because it's part of a device mm -hmm. but it it is a fascinating piece of hardware that it's an ios device it is a full ios computer in an intel-based mac computer yeah i it's a computer in a computer which i i just love and and the computer in the computer is a better computer a more powerful computer than like the computers we had i don't know how many years ago you know but at some point in my life, a full personal computer was not as powerful as the touch bar. Which Absolutely. Is just it's one of those only keys. Apple things because you have to have the ability to make a tiny embedded device that right. runs an entirely uh, separate yet, you know, in some ways compatible operating system. And uh, Brett Victor actually tweeted this. So I think it's it's public knowledge that they've been working on this for up to a decade. It's not like this is what, like like last year they had to go, oh, crap, what can we do with the Mac? This has been a project they've been working on for a very, very long time. 
I did not know that. I do know, though, that I know several people who were engineers, either at a hardware level or software level or some combination of the two on the touch bar, who are truly uh, like, uh, uh, you know, it's in confidence, so I can't say who they yeah. are, but, you know, uh, truly some of the best engineers at the company, people who have like seats in the second row at yes. Apple events and are seated near, you know, ready to go, be tapped to go backstage to fix demos if they go awry, like, they're one step ready to, you know, like they're like the emergency, the demo's gone bad. We need, you know, we need top men to investigate uh, those type of talent. And that they've spent like the last 18 months on Touch Bar and are incredibly proud of how it turned out. One of them, like the, I don't have the direct quote in front of me, but one of them said, I hope this shows people that we still care about the Mac because inside Apple, it's the best proof of it possible. Combine that with the fact that on day one of these Macs with touch bars shipping, all of the commonly used consumer apps that Apple makes for the Mac had full touch bar support. A yep. lot of it very, very thoughtful. None of it half-assed, not one of them. Even like apps like... Uh, you know, like text edit or something like that, or preview had thoughtful reminder, right? Uh, and it, it, you know, and I talked about this before. We can, you know, it's a separate conversation of, you know, does Apple even fully understand the right way to use the touch bar yet? Will they, you know, uh, you know, like my example is like in the early years of the Mac, like 1984, 85, there were dialogue boxes where like, okay. And cancel were stacked vertically. And then there was others where they were horizontal. Like they just hadn't figured the consistency out on stuff like that. And of course now everybody knows it goes cancel and then okay to the right. Um, that maybe there's like touch bar things like that, that there's certain things that we're doing in touch bars, like the way that Safari defaults to showing thumbnails of your tabs. I, I don't know. I don't find that useful. Maybe other people do. I, I feel like, but anyway. I scroll with it. I scroll super fast through windows and I pop up to the one that I want really quickly with that. So I'm a huge, huge fan you of like, it. So you, you swipe your finger across? Uh, yeah, because so, sometimes with tabs, I have to hit, like, you, previously yeah. I hit Command-T, Command-T to get to each one, and I just swipe now, and I see which one I want, and I stop immediately. Yeah, maybe that. Maybe I'm using it the wrong way. Maybe that's the way I should use it, is run my finger across it instead of yep. staring at it and try to poke at the right one. I never thought uh, yeah. about that. So maybe that's right. I don't know. But anyway, it to me, the the support across not just the OS, but across their apps and in the Cocoa frameworks for third-party developers, like everything I've heard from developer friends about the Touch Bar APIs is that, yes, these are, these are very solid APIs from written by people who, you know, who get Cocoa. I mean, this is exactly what you'd want, but it's a sign yep. that Apple has top engineering cut talent. So I just don't get how that jibes with Gurman's, they say the Mac team has lost clout, dot, 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 with the company software team. I don't get Another it. Another example of that is when you look at it, uh, the iOS device, the embedded iOS device, actually controls the printout of the price uh, on the display because they don't want an app to be able to intercept and change the price that you then agree to with your fingerprint. Uh, and that, again, is another level of complexity added to the engineering that they do for security's sake, but it's non-trivial to implement. And you stack all these up on top. And I think, because you were at the event with me, they were the people at Apple were super excited about this. And yep. yeah, they're still feeling their way through the best practices for it. But it was clear that they that they thought they were doing what was right for the platform. Yeah, and uh, another example is the way that the, the iOS, the Touch Bar's iOS device has the secure enclave 
which yep. is there first and foremost for the Touch ID, but it's also used now to control the webcam on the front of the display so that the webcam, you know, is obviously that's a huge security thing. All sorts of people, you know, people put tape over the thing because they're worried that they can be certain, you know, somebody can install software that'll surreptitiously turn the camera on. There's a green light that turns on when the camera's on people worry. I mean, again, rightfully so it's not crazy, but rightfully (laughs) so worry that that could be overridden by the, the malware. Um, that may not stop people. The fact that it goes through the secure enclave now may not stop people from putting tape over their uh, over their camera, but it should if they think about it. Could if they think about it, and even if you're not worried about it, it's just it's just Apple's just happy to know that they've cut off a path that malware could take to do something which would be truly dreadful, like take control of your your webcam. And they're spending valuable engineering resources to implement those features, which shows to me at least the investment they have in that platform. Right. I mean, what they could do, like, this This is why I don't think Gurman's article shows what people think that it shows. I think it's written to fit the narrative, and it doesn't really show it. I, I think the MacBook Pro uh, refutes it. You know, Apple could have just take, you know, put the upgraded Intel chipsets in the old MacBook Pro yep. enclosure. It's not like the old MacBook Pro enclosure was dated. Uh it was still. It's exactly what most, you know, other PC laptops still copy. Uh, and anybody who prefers the larger key travel wouldn't be tr- complaining about the the shallower key travel. People who the old ports. People who want the device. You know, the people who want to argue, which is a reasonable viewpoint, that I'd rather Apple stop making these things thinner and keep them the same thickness and just put bigger batteries in so I get even more battery life. You know, stop settling for quote-unquote 10 hours of battery life. Why don't you go for 20 by keeping the old thickness? They they would have had far fewer complaints. I think it would have been worse devices. I think it's, it you know, I, I, in the long run, I think they were right to, to do this. Um, but it's the weird thing, and this is why Apple has had long-term success, is they're they're not afraid to do things that will draw criticism, but are the right thing to do going forward. I mean, the headphone jack is the best example of that possible. Yeah. Nobody was uh, going to complain if the iPhone 7 had a headphone jack. Lots of people did complain that the iPhone 7 didn't have a headphone jack. Lots of complaints on one side, no complaints on the other. But if it's the right way to do it, they'll take the side with complaints. Whereas most companies always err on the side of let's do the thing that generates the fewest complaints, even if it's the worst thing. But it'll, people will, will people don't complain. People complain about what's new. They don't complain about the status quo. No, and there's, I mean, they, they can't win either way. If they kept the old enclosure, it would have been like the iPhone 7. Oh, it's, it's the same design. Apple's not innovating anymore. They're boring. Uh, and then they change it. Well, you know, why did they bother changing it? They could have just left the same design. But Apple just never goes to the judges. They don't care about the judges. Right. They don't want their their routine uh, scored by the Swedish judge with like an 8 or something. They do what they think they think is right, and they'll take the lumps. And it could be the headphone jack. It could be USB-C, Thunderbolt 3 across the line. It could be right. making thinner Macs. They, they're, they're willing to take those lumps for what they think is the best product. But that that hypothetical world, the hypothetical world where Apple's October 2016 new MacBook Pros effectively looked more or less just like the old MacBook Pros, that world fits with German's narrative. Well, mm-hmm. they've lost clout with Johnny Ives' team. So the John Ives' team said, nope, stick to, you know, old yep. enclosure is good enough. Uh, 
it fits with the idea that they've lost clout with the software team because the no, no software really has to, all they need to do is put new drivers in, right? It's not, hey, every single Mac app from Apple has to be updated with touch bar support. Um, that fits it. Like the, the world where they come out with these new MacBook Pros that are much thinner, have the weight of the old MacBook Airs, but are pro. Mm-hmm. And have the you know high color gamut, uh, wide color gamut, whatever you want to call it, displays. Uh, I just don't get it. Yeah, it, th- those products were internally expensive to produce, and they wouldn't do that if that was a platform that they were abandoning. Uh, I don't know what else to say about it other than oh, there are the other part that I thought was, and I haven't written about this either, but I want to. But it's just been late in December is uh, people now have more options. Microsoft Corporation, once derided by Mac loyalists for its clunky, buggy software, offers Windows 10, which provides the tablet-type functionality Apple pioneered with the iPad. Now, that's a funny sentence because... <laughs> I And I mean, I don't mean to, to be like a nitpicker, but it's a funny sentence because people now have more options. Windows was derided by Mac loyalists as clunky and buggy software i would agree with that that is certainly why i haven't used windows on a regular uh, regular basis other than when i had shitty jobs when i was younger and had to uh now offers windows 10 and it's not which is not clunky or buggy or as unsavory as windows ever was but it (laughs) instead says which provides the tablet type functionality apple pioneered with the ipad like yeah i mean uh, there was 10 years of tablet PC before the iPad. I had a chance to try out Leo Laporte's uh, Surface Studio when I was there for the holiday show. We did a, a review of it. Uh, and it's inter- it's an interesting product, but I, I don't under... I wrote about this too. Like It seems like non-Apple products get graded on a curve because this was an i5 with a 5200 RPM hard drive, which was just not sufficient for that product. And th- this is a device that's plugged in all the time. There's no reason for it to be um, power right. constrained at all. You could put anything as powerful as you want in there. Uh, but it was incredibly power constrained. It could run in either desktop or tablet mode, which was confusing. And when he would swipe down to get rid of something, you could literally count like seconds in between the animation frames, not just they're, they're a frame off, but like seconds before it would animate and start dropping it down. And not the first time when it loaded it, but over and over again. And it was by far not an experience that I would tolerate on a, on a daily basis. I know some people love Windows for gaming or for that functionality, but I, I just don't get that entire narrative about Apple, sorry, Microsoft is now catering to creatives, they're putting out very small niche products that they're having a hard time shipping on right. schedule as well. Um, Microsoft Surface computers offer Apple-esque quality and a well-reviewed creative paint program aimed at the Mac's audience. Uh, I do think there's a little bit of kernel of truth there where if you are a professional illustrator or architect or somebody who draws professionally, the Surface Studio, if I did, I would certainly look at one and maybe only use it for drawing and still use a Mac for all my other computing and just have a device, you know, a dedicated, in a way that, you know, a lot of these people have had a dedicated device hooked up to their Macs, it's a Cintiq, yep. that you'd buy this just for the drawing. Um, I could see it, but I certainly wouldn't call it Apple-esque quality, honestly. I mean, I um, it, again, it's like, you know, the guy who runs a site that's mostly about Apple says yep. Surface Studio isn't as nice as a Mac. The uh, hinge I mean, is really good. The hinge is it, really, it is nice. really good. But I th- I found that the the drawing response time, if you want to compare it to the iPad Pro, it's, there's no yes. comparison. There is there is latency, and it varies widely. And it's true on the iPad, too. I mean, it is software-dependent. But um, if you want to just look at the reference 
apps, you know, Microsoft's own Microsoft Paint, which I tried in the, in the store, and Apple's Notes app, where you can draw the sketches, you know, just as baselines for latency. Uh, there's practically none. I mean, I, I don't want to say none with the iPad Pro, but it's, you know, and I, I don't think there's any reviews that disagree that the latency is downright amazing. Um, there's definitely latency. I could see it on the, the Surface Studio. And there's parallax. The, the the display is nowhere near as close to the surface of the glass or plastic or whatever it's yes. made of than the iPad Pro. There's absolutely a, a bit of parallax there. It's not bad. It's not horrible. But it certainly isn't the iPad Pro. And the iPad Pro is what I would define as Apple quality. <laughs> and so the service is, by definition, sub-Apple quality. It's hard to go back. I used a Wacom tablet for years, and that was just what you had. It was the best thing in the business, so nobody really paid attention. And after using the iPad Pro for a year, I, I found it really hard to go back because you do notice the difference in latency, and you do notice the air gap. Uh, and on, on proper Wacom, you notice a reticule, which I know you can turn off, but still super yeah. annoying to me. Uh, it, it sort of spoils you for that experience. And yeah, there is no 27-inch iPad Pro, or there's not a 27-inch, you know, pencil support on an iMac yet, but right. uh, it, technologically speaking, there's a world of difference right. between the two. Sensing an opportunity, I'm back to German's story, Microsoft called the MacBook Pro a, quote, disappointment, and said more users than ever were switching to its Surface laptops. And that's that's the end of that. So it's a total Bezos chart of <laughs> yes, <laughs> of how many... <laughs> how many users are switching to Surface laptops? Switching, obviously, I... I presumably from Macs, they mean, not from other Windows laptops. Uh, more it's the than ever. problem. <laughs> it's like if five people switched last month and 10 right. people switched this month, 100% more people switched this month. I, I, I sincerely doubt that the number of people switching from MacBooks to Surface laptops is significant. And I also strongly suspect that if the ones who are are people who never really took to the Mac in the first place and that they are not the Mac loyalists that's the term of the headline of German's story. Uh, I, I really doubt that any of them, or no, I wouldn't say any, obviously there's in a world of 7 billion people, I'm sure there's some, but that the number effectively is zero of Mac loyalists who've switched to the surface. But I could be wrong. But anyway, it would be nice to have numbers to back up <laughs> a statement yeah, from Microsoft that isn't refuted at all. More than ever. And they said it's a disappointment. No, it's true. I mean, I know a lot of people who are Surface curious who just, they wanted to get a device that they could draw on the screen that ran right. Photoshop. And they all, they bought Surfaces to, to use in coffee shops or to use around the house, but they still kept their Macs. And I, really? I don't know how all these numbers, to me, this is a math problem. It's not a, it's not a, uh, an industry trend. Hmm. Uh, it was just like the again, like it's it's the same thing where we had those Pixel sales where Pixel, more people were, like the, the acceleration of Pixel was faster. The internal turmoil has taken a toll. This is German's story. More than a dozen engineers and managers working on Mac hardware have left for different Apple teams or other companies in the past year and a half, said people familiar with the situation. <laughs> Allow me to confirm that more than a dozen engineers working on Mac hardware have left for different Apple teams or other companies. It's a lot more than a dozen. And all <laughs> people within Apple switch to other places within Apple all the time always have. And it has been, I think, and you know this, I think you probably know this too. I think there's been a little bit more shifting around in the last 18 months or so than yeah. usual, just because of Project Titan and a few other things. But 
to cite as evidence of problems within Apple that, quote, more than a dozen engineers and managers working on Mac hardware have left for different teams is really not news at all. It would be, if 18 months go by and fewer than a dozen engineers and managers change jobs, that would be startling. It would, I, I wouldn't believe it. And also, it's, it's unclear to me what that means, because I, I know people who are on loan to other, uh, like, you know, maybe they work on iPhone, but they've been on loan to Apple Watch to complete a project over there. And then eventually they either stay or they go back. And they move around all the time, depending on where those engineering uh, resources are needed. And it's, and again, if desktop Macs weren't a priority this year, it's very easily, it's very easy to see those those engineers get put on other right. projects in the meantime. Right. And I know, for example, I know that people who worked on Touch Bar were on loan from other teams because it's, it, you know, it wasn't, it's not like they need a dedicated Touch Bar team forever. I mean, not that there's never going to be an update to the Touch Bar, but that to ship the first one and decide here's the foundation of how it works, we need some iOS people because we got to get, you know, let's get these guys from, you know, who work on iOS because they know how to do the secure enclave or, or whatever, you know. But anyway, yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I just don't think, again, there is definitely something weird and problematic going on with Apple's desktops uh, across the board, even the iMac. Um, maybe. I mean, it just seems a little weird to, to go a whole, over a year without an update at all, even a speed bump. Um, totally. And so, by the same token, I mean, we know people who for years have been saying, why doesn't Apple take a break and not, you know, and get off this yearly update cycle? Uh, it's just those, those products going three or two years, I think, is, is, is alarming. But you know, going a year between IMAX, if it's the spring instead of the fall, I don't think that's alarming. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, and what I've heard repeatedly from people at, at Apple is that, you know, regarding German stories and stuff like this, like not specific stories, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like German's best story of 2016 is probably the uh, Air, AirPods scoop he got certain details wrong including like the big thing he got wrong was that the airpods would be beats branded and that beats would come out with a low lower price thing which is made no sense to me marketing rise you know like the apple branded one is the one that would be priced to sell and the beats is the premium brand that would be more expensive and in fact that's exactly how it turned out that Beats sells the 300 dollars over the year things and the airpods are of course apple branded um but in terms of what the airpods were and how they would work and they'd have a little charging case and stuff like that he had that last january very yeah. specific was spot on even the product marketing part that he got wrong it shouldn't have even speculated on it. He gets the product marketing stuff wrong almost all the time because people in product marketing just don't leak. Um, and the people who do leak are people who know things like the, the hardware engineering. And that's obviously who leaked the story. Anyway, specific story like that, German nails it. Something like this that's bigger, he often gets facts right but gets the story wrong. Is And I've heard that from like three different people. Facts yeah, and again, right. The it's super Story hard. What he does is su super, super tough, not just gathering the information, but doing the analytics behind it and sort of guessing Apple's intent, uh, which is, you know, kudos to him for doing it because I wouldn't. Uh, but that, that part is super, super hard. Yeah. We are desperately running out of time here. <laughs> we are going to do a big year-end review and we're not even going to get to it. We have to, we'll have to rush through that part. We can pick our targets. Uh, let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor. Longtime friend of the show, Audible. Audible has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. Get a 30-day free trial at audible.com slash talk show. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. Do not think of Audible as just a bookstore for audiobooks, even though they are the world's biggest 
bookstore for audiobooks, and you could probably listen to their audiobooks. In fact, I guarantee it. You could listen to them nonstop for the rest of your life, and you could live a long, healthy life, and you'll never run out. You could Every waking moment for the rest of your life, you could be listening to an audiobook from Audible. You could fill it up. That's how many uh, books they have. But they've got more than books. They've got, it's effectively like the Netflix for audio. They've got their own original shows, news shows, comedy, and more. All sorts of stuff. If you can listen to it, they have it. Audiobooks are great for flights, long road trips, your daily commute, when you're exercise. I don't have to tell you this. This is why I think that it's obvious why Audible sponsors podcasts, because podcasts, by definition, are listened to by people who like spoken word audio content. Well, guess what? If you wish you had more good stuff to listen to, you'll never run out at Audible. Where do you go to find out more? Well, duh, their address is audible.com. Go there with the URL audible.com slash talk show, and you can get a 30-day free trial right there. Go check it out. Uh, get yourself a little uh, Christmas present. Subscribe to audible.com. Uh, my thanks to Audible for sponsoring the show. Uh, next on the list is the Consumer Reports yeah. <laughs> fiasco. So Consumer Reports at the end of last week on Friday. Uh, how would you summarize it? Uh, I, you summarize it. So they put out um, – <clears throat> so – they put out a headline. They put out a report saying that they could not recommend the new MacBook Pro because they got wildly inconsistent battery tests. It was, I think, the the gist of it. That went from fifteen hours on the high end to like three point something on the low end. And so they gave it. It's the first MacBooks ever not to receive their quote unquote recommended. Yeah. So in other words, there's it's sort of like the the good housekeeping seal of approval that they're not saying it's the best, they're not saying it's the worst, they're not ranking ten laptops. You know, here's number two, number three. It's just is it at least in their recommended list? And it's sort of like a you know a minimum badge of this is a, a decent machine, and it's the first one ever not to get it. Uh, and it was top the, all the, the tech sites. It was the number one story on Tech Memo on Friday. Uh, yeah, and their and logic it, was because they, they, they thought that battery was such an important characteristic that they couldn't take an average. They had to take the lowest result for each one because that's the only thing people could count on. So it got scored based on having around a three-point-something-hour battery life. So Consumer Reports, and again, it, it, there's a, hey, oh, you, know, you complain about Consumer Reports because they said something bad about Apple. But this is, to frame this, Consumer Reports has been around for a long time. And yeah. when I was growing up, had a great reputation and that uh, – it, it was expensive because one of the th policies that they have is that they don't accept product advertising. And so they are supported by their subscribers. And it's a very expensive thing to do. So when they do things like they test cars, they go to a car dealer and they buy cars. And they don't say, I'm from Consumer Reports, and they buy a car. You know, They just go in like regular mm -hmm. customers and buy whatever cars they're testing so that they know that they're getting a consumer product, not like a, a cherry-picked, you know, hey, this is, yeah. you know, like the Ford Motor Company is going to make sure everything's right about this car uh, before they give it to Consumer Reports on loan for a week of testing or something like that. They have their own test track. They own a test track where they drive cars um, and they test everything from washing machines to refrigerators to, to all sorts of stuff. Um, Consumer Reports is not what it used to be, though. There was like an editorial purge about five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. I'll put a link in the show notes from like a former uh, editor. But effectively, they got new management five or six years ago who thought they could do a lot better with cheaper 
with new, you know, like just sort of uh, freelancing out all the work. Yeah, like satellite reviewers. Right. And redesigned the magazine and it became a lot less dense. And the reviews, it was a lot more like they sort of USA today did up. You know, mm-hmm. it's a lot more graphs and charts and graphics and a lot less dense text. Um, and so if you think that Consumer Reports has gone downhill just in your mind, there's actually a factual basis for that in so far as a huge amount of their staff that used to be there, long-term people who had were there for 10, 20 years or even more, no longer work there. Um, number two, their computer testing has never actually been very good in my opinion. Um, so that's just background. But here's the thing. This, what they say about these new MacBook Pros, maybe the new MacBook Pros get in, inferior battery life. Let's just say that that's a possibility. Yes. What they're saying, though, it doesn't make any sense at all. Like to test these machines that Apple claims gets 10 hours and whatever, whatever Apple testing is, get range from three hours to 18 hours. The 18 hour number is impossible. Like numerous people on, on Twitter pointed out, and I believe it's true that if you turn on a MacBook Pro, and don't open any apps and just set it so that the 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 display doesn't go to sleep automatically. You're not going to get 18 hours of battery life. Yeah. It just sitting there idle with the screen on as bright as they say it is. Um unless you forget to unplug it for part of that time, it seems incredibly unlikely that that would be the amount of time you get. I don't it it uh, it obviously the machines went to sleep or something. I mean I I don't know, but they don't number 2 they don't reveal their testing. Now presumably they don't reveal the exact nature of their testing because they don't want to uh if they say if they give you repeatable steps of how they test the battery life then uh computer makers could maybe somehow game the system. And that's you know, fair. Like, I mean, Samsung's been caught trying to game things like Geekbench uh, or other benchmark well, systems. Yeah, but I uh, depends though. See, benchmarks are different because you can, like, the benchmark cheating is dreadfully easy in some cases. Where like, there's ways that uh, the they actually compile code that looks for the compiled yes. code of the benchmark and then just knows to give the right answer without actually going through the actual algorithm, right? Yeah, like. It, it, if you happen to know, I mean, just to put it in super layman's terms, if you just happen to know that the benchmark is going to ask what the square root of a particular large number is, you could just hard code the answer that instead of computing the square root, you just say, well, if if the you know asking for the square root of this particular large number, just give the just skip ahead to the answer because we already have it, and that's the sort of cheating Samsung's been caught doing. Yeah, literally. I mean, not on the square root, but on some you know. A real example. I don't know how you could do that with battery life. I, I it, depending on the test, it's it. You know, I don't yeah. know, and it's contrary to the way that science works. Right, the whole point of of like publishing in science is, you know, you publish in a way that you can get reproducible yeah. results. So they're repeatable, and the thing that that immediately was a was a red flag to me. On, there was a lot of them in this article, but. Uh, you know, Apple controversially removed the time remaining indicator, but before they did that, uh, it's always been bad. But for this new generation of MacBooks, I was and I've I tweeted them for weeks before it became an issue that I was getting like 16 hours or 14 hours or 18 hours remaining on it when it was clearly not the case, uh, and, and that those numbers sort of matched those sort of made up numbers that the API was spitting out to me was curious from the get go. Oh, so you you I never saw numbers like that, but I never really looked at that number. And I've upgraded the test machines I have here to to the yeah twelve you know to twelve point two ten point twelve point two. God, I hate that ten. Um, 
so I can't test it. I was always getting the opposite. I was getting an underrepresentative estimate when I did look. Um, but I think, but part of it is that I just, I just don't look at that time remaining. I just look at the percentage. I really, I, it's just the habit I've gotten into. I'm not yeah, trying to. It's been to, known to be wrong for a while. And I was actually joking with someone who makes, uh, who uses the third party API, which is slightly different, who was just saying, I'm just going to cap it at 10 hours because I can't trust anything it says over that. Ah, oh, so the third party one is different. I didn't know that yeah. either. Because yeah, yeah. I, I do know that you can still get it without installing any third party utilities. You can get it out of Activity Meter. Yes, um, that's the Apple one. Or not still. Activity Monitor. Um, yeah. And there's plenty of third party utilities. I'm actually, I did laugh when, when, <laughs> when I first found out that Apple, <laughs> as, <laughs> as part of their explanation for how they've improved the battery life on the new MacBook Pros in, in the 10.12.2 update that they removed the time remaining. I, I literally laughed out loud because it looks so bad. So but I know I, people internally who've been trying to get that thing fixed for years. And then I pointed out again, this time to fixed somebody or just removed uh, fixed. And then I pointed yeah. it out to someone on the team um, when it happened to me again. And they they came back and they looked at it and they went, holy shit, why is this like this? And yeah. I think that they just didn't have time to fix it. And I think maybe right, it was, it was they, a, a harder problem to solve. And ten, you know, to get it out for, for 10.12.2 they could taking it out was yeah. obviously easy <laughs> that's that's a really easy software change yeah. fixing it might be uh, hard and they're not going to delay they're not going to delay 10.12.2 to to wait for the fix and because there's all sorts of other good stuff in in that update uh that was ready to ship and so you know I'm down with it. It's just funny that it. It's just sad. That's sad, but it's funny that it that they decided to do it in response to complaints about a new device. What yeah. they should have done is take it out of Sierra. Just take it out of you know. Should have recognized that it was either fix it for Sierra or take it out for Sierra and just say it's a Sierra update. You it's know? like a and lot of things at Apple. It doesn't get attention until it does. Right. Right. Um. <laughs> and this got the wrong kind. <laughs> it made me laugh. Yeah. Anyway. I've told you before the show, I have spent the last five days since Friday creating my own little battery benchmark. Now, here's how Consumer Reports claims, I don't have the quote in front of me, but effectively they say what they do to test the battery is they load a series of web pages yeah. repeatedly over and over until the battery runs out. Um, and they run them from a locally hosted web server in their lab, um, which I think is actually, in my opinion, is the wrong way to do it. I feel, I guess they're thinking that if they run it locally, they can get more repeatable. But, uh, you know, that if there's some sort of problem between here and the actual server. But, or they get like a rogue ad tracker that just spins up more and more trackers and, and starts killing right. the processes. But I feel like if you want to test real-world battery life, you should test it on real-world websites. It's, you know, like running off a fake web server in your lab, testing, loading the pages from a fake web server in your lab is like it's saying like we're not going to run the real version of Photoshop we're going to yeah. you know run our own simulation of Photoshop it's you know why not run the real thing it's what real people are going to do so going to run a recording I, of a of a drawing instead of running the program that makes the drawing now I haven't published this yet cuz I'm not done and unlike consumer reports I don't want to publish it before I'm done but I can talk about it here on the show it's sure. a very simple I wrote an apple script and what it does I took 25 stories from the top 25 stories on tech meme on Friday uh just to have real-world stories that are supposedly actually prop popular, real pe pages that were loaded by real people. Uh, I don't think it really matters too much what they are, but there are real websites. Uh, and then it 
one at a time, loads them into new tabs, leaves all of them open, uh, loads, loads a web page, waits five seconds, pages down, waits another five seconds, pages down, waits another five seconds, pages down. After that, goes on to the next URL, does the same thing. 15 seconds with five seconds in between to page down, to simulate, you know, reading a website, loading anything else that might roll into the scroll view, like an automatic playing video or something like that. Uh, Do all 25 of them, have 25 tabs open. And then at the end of that, close it, start all over again. Load the same Mm -hmm. 25 pages over and over again at a sort of... Uh, for you know, it, I could take out the five second delays, and it like it's like the screen is just like flash, 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 and it's it's going way faster than you can see. In real life, is anybody actually going to sit there in front of a computer for five hours and <laughs> every fifteen seconds load another web page and scroll down? No, I mean it's sort of like simulating like a coke fiend on a news yes. binge. <laughs> But it's just, it's not supposed to be like, this is simulating a real person in real use. It's just something that I could run on multiple machines to see if the scores come out consistently on multiple runs on the same machine and to compare one machine to another and to compare these new ones to my old 2014 MacBook Pro. Uh, and the results I got are very different than consumer reports. So there wasn't like a 15-hour one and a three-hour one? No, if anything... The the results have actually gotten slowly but steadily better since Friday on the same machine, which I attribute to the fact that when I first started on Friday, I had just updated to 10.12.2 on the one. Sure. I had sort of packed these review units up to send back to Apple. I'm glad I didn't. Um, they were all packed up, and most of the I have three of them. I have one without. I have the MacBook Escape. Mm-hmm. I have 13 inch with a Core i5 with a Touch Bar, and I have a 15 inch. Um, uh. I attribute the earlier ones getting worse scores by about an hour to the fact that um, I did check, not while the benchmark was running, but just while I was setting up and testing it and trying to figure, you know, just making sure that the test did what I thought it did and was logging what I thought it did. What I do is I write to a text file every time through the 25 tabs just to list how long has gone since we started and what's the current battery life Mm -hmm. as a percentage. Um, to make sure it was all sane. I ran it sometimes with activity monitor running, and I could tell the first time it was running that the a lot of the photos d- demons were running in the background. Yeah. Um, I think because I have these machines signed into my iCloud account, and I think that the photo sharing, all the photos I've taken since I wrote my MacBook review in October were new, and so it was doing facial detection and all that stuff on all of the photos that I've yep. taken since October. And we took a vacation over Thanksgiving. And so there was actually a lot of photos. I, I honestly think that the photo thing was giving, you know, so effectively I got, I don't have the exact numbers here, but I was getting four hours and change on my test on the 13 inch MacBook Pro, the new one with the touch bar. And now, uh, like I ran it last night, I got five and a half hours. Um, and it's, but it's, you know, all between four hours and change and a maximum of like five. Um, the MacBook Escape got six hours and 20 minutes. So it actually does get, uh, as reported by some, you know, I guess now that I have the script, I can actually report battery life when I uh, write these reviews. But it does get better battery life than the one with the touch bar, um, which makes some sense, I think, because the touch bar never goes off. This script, I have the, you know, obviously I have the machine set to not dim this, the display, not dim it automatically. Uh, the touch bar is always on because it seems to the computer that the user is actively, constantly, never stopping to use Safari. 
Well, and also I think some people noted this when they were first introduced that the specs are widely different and it would be odd that they would get the same battery life according to Apple with those different specs. Right. Uh, the other crazy thing from the Consumer Reports story yes. that was that they said that, they said that switching from Safari to Chrome fixed the problem, that it got consistent results, and it got better results. So it there uh, who knows what's going on there i still can't wait to hear the explanation for this i still can't, there's no I, I don't care there's just no possible way that you can load web pages for 18 hours <laughs> on one of these machines but the idea that switching to chrome would fix it makes no sense whatsoever because chrome is widely known as a battery hog that the one of the single biggest differences between safari and chrome on the Mac is that chrome is not optimized for battery life and safari <clears throat> is optimized Possibly as its single highest priority for battery life. Like, I don't know that there's a single priority on Apple's WebKit and Safari team higher than maximizing battery life. Um, it, it is a grade one priority. That is there zero regression jihad. Right. And lo, lo and behold, I tried the exact same battery test with Chrome. I, 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 same URLs, same delay between scrolling. All I did was change tell application safari to you know you know and then here's the 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 repeat you know it's a very simple script i will publish it so that people can reproduce the result all i did was change the tell target from tell application safari to tell application google chrome that's the only change yep. everything else actually there's no other change that's needed to the even an apple script it's the command is very simple it's just open location and then you put the url as a string and it opens so you don't even have to change that <laughs> the battery life, lo and behold, was <laughs> only two thirds as long as with Safari. It went from you know four hours and change to three hours and change, and you divide one over the other, and it came out to like point six six, point six five. It was almost exactly two thirds, a thirty three percent drop off in battery switching to Chrome. I always when I get a new MacBook, I try I, I do Chrome for a day, and it's it, it, without fail, it's an hour to an hour and a half less battery life for me. That, made, again, that's that's exactly fits with my uh, th this the little simple test that I ran, and I'm not even saying that this is a great the world's greatest battery test. All I can say is that it's as close as I can come to approximating what Consumer Report says they did, and I don't think it's an unreasonable battery test. No, it seems and fairly reasonable to me. What, what was so odd to me with this whole situation is one that Consumer Reports would be happy enough with those results to publish them instead of becoming super inquisitive, like super inquiring. Why am I getting these results? I need to understand these before I try to explain it to somebody else. And also, we, we find out again on Twitter, and I know Marco has mentioned this before, is that we're really bad with multiple truths. Like the the battery could not live up to Apple's expectations, and they could be shitty tests. Both those things could be true. And right. Consumer Reports did nothing to sort of convince me that the shitty test part weren't part of it. I will say though that my tests show that these the new MacBook Pros are getting better battery life consistently, at least an hour more than my 2014 13-inch MacBook Pro. Now that said, yes. my 2014 MacBook Pro, which I personally own, is two years old, almost to exactly two years old, and I've used it a lot over two years. And the battery, you know, batteries, uh, two-year-old batteries that have been used for two years do not behave as well as brand new batteries. And I'm sure it's quite certain that uh, that very same machine that I own probably would have scored significantly better if, if I tested it two years ago. So it may yeah. not be an Apple's. It's, it's an Apple's to two-year-old Apple's <laughs> comparison. But I will say it is an hour longer. Uh, 
So if I were to switch today from my 2014 MacBook Pro to the uh, new one with Touch Bar, I would expect to get uh, an hour more battery life of active active use. Totally. And I mean, there's there's a lot of things, again, to unpack here. One is that Apple famously a few years ago changed the way they measured battery life and it resulted in significantly better battery estimates. People just remarked that Apple's became super solid, but times keep changing. And I think Apple does have to update these again. And we saw that with iPhone devices recently too, because it's not back like in the Steve Jobs days when he did when he started going through web pages, it was the New York Times and Apple.com. And that's just not how people don't just check email and uh, the web now anymore. They've got Snapchat and Facebook book and Pokemon Go and apps that keep the screen lit up and keep the radios fired and keep GPS on all the time and are significantly higher battery drains. And this is what this is what a lot of normal people are using than, than just looking at web pages or mail. I think the same is true on the Mac, depending on which sites you choose to load. These can have, you know, and I, the site I run is as guilty of this as anybody. They, they'll load a tracker, which will load a tracker. And every once in a while, I get one that just goes 15 or 80 levels deep and kills guiltier, everything. Guiltier than most. Yes, guiltier than most. Sure. Um, uh, maybe, maybe my site was the one that Consumer right. Reports killed the MacBook on. I don't know. I do wonder. I think that that might explain a bit of some of the variability that I, I've seen in my own testing here is that even loading the same 25 URLs every time, you can get different ad trackers. And it certainly you certainly see it. If, if you ever look in Activity Monitor and you see one – Safari process, you know, because each tab in modern Safari gets its own process, uh, and you can see them individually in an activity monitor. And if you see one for iMore that's taking uh, 1.2 gigabytes of RAM, that's yeah. and you're like, well, that's weird because I've got three iMore tabs open. And only one of them is using this. It's something like that. Uh, uh, totally. And again, like they, I, there's no indication that they were. Like you said the photos agent could spin up, or right. a spotlight indexer could spin up. And there's various processes that are running in the background that could have profound impacts on what the battery life is. And there was no yeah. indication they controlled for that either. Yeah. Uh, so it's you know a lot of hullabaloo about nothing. And again, as you said, that Marco pointed out, that doesn't mean that the battery life on these things is great. Uh, but for my testing, it doesn't seem to be bad. And also, it also doesn't put aside the fact that there are definitely, there were definitely bugs in 10.12.1 across yeah. the board. And I think in particular in Safari, uh, there was something going on there. Uh, and I've heard from people at Apple that some of the people, you know, and, and it, again, if, if you're out there and you've got a new MacBook Pro and you've had you know, really, really sad or disappointing battery life, I'm not saying that that's not true, and I know that there are people out there. I I, I know that there are people at Apple though who are 100% convinced, 100% that uh, it's software and that it's yeah. easily fixable and will be fixed, and it's not hardware. That they might have hit a couple of edge cases in one of those yes. tests that greatly skewed the results. And again, instead of uh, and, and the part to me that that I dislike about the modern internet, and it's it's similar. Like when Apple removed the the time remaining indicator, the story we lost the battery life story. It all became about the battery life indicator, and this was about the headline: Consumer Reports can't recommend the MacBook. There could be an issue with the battery life, and that gets totally lost. And you got a lot of the same tweets that I did. And when we you just raise questions about this, you're called an apologist or right. uh, or, or something else. But to me, these are legitimate questions because I, I actually want to know about the battery life. I really don't care about the rest of it. I just want an answer on that. Yeah, I, I agree. So anyway, I think that the uh, Consumer Reports blew it on this. I, you know, Anyway, and you'll hear more from me on the battery test, and I will publish the script, and people can 
run it themselves. And I do hope, and this, you know, this is my speculation, but I do think that Consumer Reports got a taste for what big, big attention is because they, they're battling for relevance now. There's sites like Wirecutter. Right. There's a whole internet out there. It, it used to be just Consumer Reports, and now they have to compete with a bunch of other sites, and there's dilution in this industry. And with AntennaGate, they saw a ton of attention. And then after that, we got the weird sort of Bendgate stuff from them. And then last year, it was the Samsung Galaxy Active water uh, retention. And it just feels like they're testing to see where they can you know, regain relevancy with these things. And I think that that leads them to publish articles that aren't always in the best interests of their consumers. Yeah. You know, and one last thing I will point out, and this is the thing where I feel like they most screwed the pooch is by, by publishing on Friday when they did, was that they tested multiple machines and got the same inconsistent results on all of them. So I don't put it past the possibility that a very, you know, an early production model of, of one of these machines could be a lemon and would produce wildly mm -hmm. different results. That's certainly possible. Uh, but the, the odds that you would buy three and all three would exhibit the same bizarre behavior and like nobody else is seeing wildly divergent battery life like that between runs I mean, for you not to, for one not to suspect that the problem is with the test and not with the machines boggles the mind. Yeah. Like Again, if it was just one device and, and you got that, boy, I, it, you know, that seems possible, but it, uh, three devices, I mean, that's, it's, you know, like that scene in Casino when uh, De Niro's berating the guy yes. because three, three <laughs> slot machines in a row gave out a jackpot and that he didn't suspect that they were being scammed. No, totally. And, and again, we have a Nantech, we have Ars Technica, we have a lot of uh, sites that do really, really good work with battery tests, and there's a lot of things that you can check these results with. Yeah. All right, let me take a break here and thank our third and final sponsor, Warby Parker. Warby Parker thinks glasses, eyeglasses, should not cost as much as a new iPhone. Their prescription eyeglasses start at 95 bucks, including the prescription lenses. They make buying glasses online easy and risk-free. Here's what you do. You go there, browse the site. They've got so many glasses, uh, so many eyeglasses to choose from. And you pick like five that you like, and they will ship them right to your door with like just regular non-prescription lenses in them. You get all five. Try them on, look in the mirror, ask your friends, ask your, your loved ones what you look like, what they think, or just make the decision yourself. Uh, pick the ones you like the best. Order them. Put the ones back in the put the the sample ones back in the box. They already have gave you the label to send it back. Just just put the label the new label on the same box. Send it back. Uh, prepaid. Couldn't be easier. So you're not no pressure in the store. No no you know you're in the real your real house looking in real lighting, getting a real opinion. You can you can try them in the morning. Try them at night. 100% free. It's free. So if you don't like any of them, just pack all five back, send them back, and that's it. There's nothing to it. Uh, at the prices that they sell them at, for about 100 bucks a pair, you could get two or three pairs of glasses instead of just having one. You know, Do it like your watch straps. Uh, they also sell sunglasses. They start at 95 bucks, including polarized lenses. Uh, and with a prescription, they start at 175 bucks. Uh, all sorts of stuff. It's really, really great. I'm wearing a pair of Warby eyeglasses as I read this. They're, I think, three years old. I don't know, but they're like new. Uh, and I, they're in perfect shape. Uh, still like them. Uh, love the try-on program. I've got another pair upstairs uh, that I 
just because I like these so much, I got another pair. Just keep them in the box uh, in case I ever break these. Um, really, if you need eyeglasses, go to warbyparker.com slash the talk show. Check it out. Get your free home try-ons. Uh, even if you don't need new glasses, think about it. Maybe get another pair for 100 bucks. Why not? So go to warbyparker.com slash the talk show and get your free home try-on experience today. We got to wrap it up soon. I got I got dinner plans, Renee. I don't know about you. I know, and you're going to get sick soon. <laughs> Apologies to Caleb. Uh, so let's cover the entire year in five minutes. Okay. <laughs> year in review, 2016. I, I My thought was, what are your favorite products of the year? And my two favorite products of the year, very easy. Number one, the winner for product of the year is AirPods. And number two, the iPhone 7. I've already talked. I've written, I wrote a huge review of the iPhone 7. I don't need to say why I like it. Uh, but I will just point out this. I, as the time goes on and I get more and more used to my iPhone 7, I, I, I really, I, I do kind of hope that if it's true that they go bezel-less, that the whole device will shrink and it'll become yeah. even smaller in my hand. I mean, I'm an iPhone 7 person, not an iPhone 7 Plus. I'd love to have an iPhone SE size device or almost iPhone SE size device and just have the whole thing be a display. Um, but even so, I've been using this seven size for so long. But I love the little things that they've done differently in this. To call it exactly the same industrial design is is just not true. Yes, it's very, very similar. It is familiar. Um, and I will also point out, three months in, uh, that my jet black used with no case uh, iPhone 7 still looks fantastic. Yes, there are scratches, not just fine, whatever they call them. Hair, what do they call those? Micro abrasions. There are plenty of micro abrasions which are impossible to see unless you really tilt it exactly the right and look for it. But there are also, I don't even know when this happened, about an inch down and a half an inch to the right of the Apple logo, there are some like serious scratches on it. You can't see them. Even this actual scratch scratches, you can't see them unless you really look for it. I, I don't, and I don't care. It's fine. I love it. It's the, it feels so great in my hand. It is not slippery. It wasn't slippery when it was hot. Uh, I've been in, in the three months I've had it, I've been in the tropics. I have been in freezing, sub-freezing East Coast weather. Uh, it's not slippery when your hands are cold. It's not slippery when your hands are hot. It's not slippery at room temperature. Uh, and I, I, I do. I've, and I've taken some amazing photographs with the camera. So iPhone 7, my second favorite product of the year. What about you? What's your favorite products of the year? Uh, you know, I, I would say the iPhone 7 Plus just because I've been on the Plus since it first came out. And I just love the larger screen because to me, it really it becomes a primary computing device. And I can do everything that my job, almost everything my job needs me to do right from my iPhone. And especially with the camera system, the the, the lens fusion on the iPhone 7 Plus, I used to shoot everything for iMore with uh, DSLR. Uh, and I haven't used one since this phone came out. And yeah, there's some grain on a lot of the pictures, but I, I'm taking photos I never thought I would be able to take. It's just photos that I could never have taken with previous generation iPhones. And to me, that's a huge, huge improvement. Um, but because you already picked iPhone, I'm, I'm going to go with the uh, 9.7-inch iPad Pro because 
it it has all of the benefits of the big iPad Pro. Uh, it's but it's it's even more of sort of this hybrid computer. I know other companies have been making these convertible computers for years, but to me, Apple really nailed it with this because you have the keyboard and you can sit there and in a coffee shop or on an airplane train table, uh, tray table, and and type. And within two or three minutes, I forget I'm typing on a piece of laser ablated taffeta, and I just type, uh, and it's great. And then you can pull it off and sit back and use it like an iPad Air too. It's the exact same basic size, shape, and weight, uh, and watch movies or play games or do those things and forget that a few seconds ago, it was basically like a little laptop computer. And then you add in that the decent camera system on that, which is as good as a previous generation iPhone, uh, the True Tone display, which I hope you know Apple really refines that and puts it everywhere. And it just, it, it makes it a really great product. I The True Tone display, I'm a little dis disappointed that it didn't get into the iPhone 7. And yeah. I see why, because it actually requires additional sensors yeah. and that space is at a premium. And, you know, I, I get it. I But I love the True Tone display so much. And I thought that the tell was when, when, it, when they introduced it back in March. Schiller said, once you see it, you can't get, you know, you can't do without it. I thought that meant it was coming in the iPhone. <laughs> And maybe it was back then. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. But it is, it, it's one of those neat ways that it, in the old days, I mean, old days, I don't know, but the early days of the iPad, the iPhone was always a full step ahead. It was the mm -hmm. first to have everything. First to get the new A-series, whatever. First to get Touch ID. Um, with the iPad Pro, the iPad is sort of, in some ways, a half a step ahead of the iPhone. Right, the iPhone right now, as we speak, has the newer A series processor and does have a better camera. Um, but it's the 9.7 inch iPad Pro that has the True Tone display, and the True Tone is not a gimmick. It is it is a real thing. Like it actually, I, I really do. It bothers me when I use it at night, in particular, and then look at my iPhone because it makes my iPhone look like it's miscolored. I was hoping they'd figure out some great way to use the sensors on the iPad mini to say if you have sort of the iPad <laughs> Pro, if you had it, it would just copy that display profile to all the other devices uh -huh. that you have on your account. Yeah. iPad Pro is a great device. The other thing I think that is historically, you know, if we want to listen to this, if somebody's listening to this 10 years in the future, like to me, the the iPad Pro is an inflection point where their A-series ARM processors passed Intel's low power processors, the ones used in the regular MacBook, like uh, the iPad absolutely. Pro. I know it's you know apples to oranges because it's iOS versus macOS, but the fact that like you can get you get better Geekbench scores on the iPad compared to the MacBook is is in hindsight. I I really think it's it's an inflection point because I think it's only going to get it's going to diverge even more, and I you know we don't have time for a discussion of whether Apple's ever going to switch to those chips in the MacBooks, but it, it's it, given where the iPad started <laughs> in 2011 or 2010, where it was, I mean, there was all sorts of things to love about the original iPad. It was a popular product. It was useful. I liked it. Uh, but you'd never say, well, it's faster than a Mac. Yeah. Uh, uh, and this one with the, uh, with the latest generation MacBook, the M3 version was choking on a single stream of, uh, 4K video for me, where the iPad Pro could fly on three streams. And you just never, you know, one thing, and I, you know, just to go back to the previous segment where I, you know, why why use loading a bunch of tabs over and over again as a benchmark? Uh, it is, A, something real people do is load pages and web browser tabs. But B, it's easy to forget that 
rendering web pages is computationally expensive. Mm-hmm. It is really, really like WebKit and and Chrome and and those things. They do an incredible amount of. It's CPU intensive to render HTML, at least modern HTML, with all the JavaScript and everything that's going on. Um, and you see it on the iPad Pro. Like when you browse the web on the iPad Pro, it's like it just feels fast. Whereas, yeah. it, you know, in the early years of the iPad, it was nice to read web pages on the iPad, but it wasn't nice to load web pages on the iPad. Our old checkerboard friend that would, when it couldn't keep up, it would show you that until it finally right. rendered the page. And now I right. never see that. Uh, and AirPods. My number one is AirPods, which I, I can't, I still have to do a review. And I was sort of waiting for production ones i was uneasy with the emphasis apple placed on the these are pre-production prototypes on the ones they gave us back in october i was uneasy writing a authoritative review about them um especially once it became clear that there was some sort of delay that we didn't know what it was um would the production ones be different i have to say in real life i think the battery life is a little worse on the production ones but it could be it could be a placebo effect I don't know. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I would say it it's just a little bit it's more like I don't know. Maybe it's like they run the actual AirPods seem to run down a little bit more noticeably. Um but the case seems to hold the same amount of a charge. Yeah, I I, try, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out differences and I was like is this magnet just a little bit magnety or oh, maybe the other ones were not. No, 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 Renee, magnets don't wear out. It's just a little bit more and just try to figure out what was different. But my usage has been almost identical. I I can't think of anything that's significantly different from right. me. But uh, you know, other, uh, but the battery life I'm getting on these production model ones is is still terrific and so much better than the old Beats uh, pre W one Bluetooth oh, yeah. headphones I had. It's mind boggling. Those I have to I had to charge like my phone like every day, and if I didn't, I wouldn't be able to get through a run with with the charge. These you just I haven't plugged them in. I've been testing it. How long these last? I haven't plugged the lightning into the case. Let's see where we're at here. So right now, I think after like five days, my AirPods are 100% and the case is at 15%. So I kind of have to plug it in soon, I guess. But I could take the AirPods out right now and they're at 100%. And I haven't, I haven't plugged this in in days and days and days. I'm the same way. My case is, I think, at 7% right now. But I, and I alternate, too, because I usually listen to podcasts or audiobooks. I almost always only have one in, in the year at a time. And I just alternate between them and it lasts for days. Yeah. All right. I have an important tip for all of you who have AirPods already or who are waiting for them to arrive i've seen one of the complaints i've seen now that they've shipped to real people is i've seen people say that they're hard to get out of the case because they're a little they're slippery white plastic and people are pinching them and pulling them and the magnet that sucks them in is fighting them and let's be a little gross after you use them for a while they pick up some earwax right they're only going to get slipperier don't pinch them to take them out of the case put your finger like your index finger or your thumb right in the middle between the two. In other words, put your finger right over the the light that lights up and just press them to the outside and they just pop right out. You don't have to pinch. It's a one finger thing. You just put your finger in the middle, push to the side and they just pop right out. So there's my, my hot tip of the day for AirPod users. I love these things. They are exactly, uh, they're everything I love about Apple. They it's, it's the best purest Apple product I can think of in years. Everything about them, the way they work, the way they pair, the integration between the hardware and the software, the way that they've solved the pairing problem, the way they've improved it, um, the the way the case is sort of the most Johnny Ive designed thing I've yes. ever. I think of anything that Apple's ever made, ever 
it it you know people have pointed out that you turn it around it looks a little bit like eve from wally yes. which johnny i've consulted on uh the 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 tactile sensation the fun of just clicking the case and having it shut uh and briefly briefly there was a thing that do you see this thing this week where people have speculated that uh the that the case was originally going to use USB-C instead of lightning because when you put the lightning cable in, you can kind of see the, the sides a little bit of, you know, like the, the slot. And if you just hold the USB-C cable up, it looks like it's the same width and people are like, Whoa. And so the, I guess the idea is that Apple made millions of these cases with a slot meant for USB-C no, and then changed see, their this. mind. I hate this so much because this is what's exactly wrong with the internet. It, no, no. If you if you actually take the AirPod and you put an iPhone underneath it, it is exactly the same port. <laughs> right. Like you, you you don't see the gap between the sides of the cable and the the slot on the iPhone because the iPhone's darker. It's the fact that yes. this is white that makes it noticeable. But people uh, blog that. I mean, someone put that up on Twitter, and people blog. And I had to go and write an article saying, "No, if you actually look at it." And you know, I I had I had to go to bed an hour late that night because I had to write that article. Well, and the other thing it. is that the width the the width matches up exactly with the width of USB C, which is curious, except for the fact that USB C is just a vaguely lightning sized port. So of course it's similar. But because it's exactly the same width, then it means it's not wide enough for it to fit. No, it has yes. to be the hole has to be wider than the. <laughs> The plug, and please don't try to force it because you, it'll be very right. bad. Don't don't force well, it. Well, and then the second factor is that height-wise, in other words, how thick you know, not how wide the plug is, but how thick it is. It's nowhere near. It's nowhere near a wide enough for USB-C. You can't even fit the corner of a USB-C cable into this socket. It's nowhere near wide enough. Yeah, it. No, it, it <laughs> complete nonsense i'm not going to waste any more time on it there's absolutely zero truth to this and you, you just prove it just by trying to fit the corner of a USB-C thing in there but the second thing is that if apple switched from USB-C to or to lightning they would have changed the size of the port in hardware like it's not like they make 50 million cases before they make 50 million internals it's no. It's, it is exactly the lightning port that they have used for devices going back from the beginning of lightning. There is no difference. Right. It's a nonsense. It's 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 the equivalent of fake news. It's I, I forget what Fraser Spears called it. Manufactured controversy. Right. Uh, yes. Exactly. Everybody loves a conspiracy, even if the conspiracy is that they switched from USB C to lightning. Yeah. No. Never happened. And I, I can't imagine how hard the eyes rolled at Apple when the, if this even made. I, I they probably just looked at the internet and closed it at that point. Right. All right. Any more? One more product from you. What do you got? Uh, watch OS three, I think, just to get on the software side, because it, yeah. it took even the original Apple Watch, the Series Zero, and and made it so much more responsive and so much more alive. And yes, they spent you know battery life and memory to do it, but it sort yeah. of showed the refinement of what Watch OS could be when they when they sort of focused down on it. Yep, that's is that's a great pick. I think that as a top four, that that is at the year in review. I think it's a perfect top four. I probably wouldn't have picked. Watch OS three just because it wouldn't have popped into my mind, but once you said it, I was like, "Oh yes, definitely." And I, I, I think that the fact that it made the the original Series Zero watches so much better yeah. is the best example of it. It's that it's not just an improvement for the new hardware, but that if you already own an Apple Watch, my recommendation is strongly no. There's no reason for you to buy a new one. Yes, the new ones are a nice improvement, especially the brighter displays. But unless your biggest complaint with your original Apple Watch is that you can't read the display in sunlight, if if that's a frequent problem for you, the new one might be worth it. 
but that's the one and only reason. I'll add it's one more, and that is the 38 millimeter. If you have trouble getting a day of battery life with workouts, the 38 millimeter mm. series two is much better for for workouts. Yeah, that is that was a problem, and maybe WatchOS three didn't solve it. But anyway, it's a terrific update because it not just fixes things, doesn't just make things better, but it really shows a thorough rethinking of of the way the, everything about the interface of the watch, and it was involved them humbly stepping back from some things like no yeah. we i guess the hardware button shouldn't just be a way to doodle your friends <laughs> totally yeah uh so anyway that's a great pick uh anything else renee uh i mean it, it was it was a jam-packed year and there's, there's still a few days left um <laughs> i'm I, worried I, <laughs> as we speak the news of the day is the sad passing of carrie yeah. fisher and so uh, with the way things are going with George Michael and Carrie Fisher, it's like, I, I, I really hope there is no more news for the remainder of the year because so far the year-end news has been nothing but uh, absolute garbage. Yeah, Just yeah. The, worst, the worst that the universe can dump on us. I made a, I made a comment on Twitter yesterday that I'm an optimist because I have to be. Otherwise, I just assume that everyone was fleeing. And that's the only possible explanation I have anymore. Carrie Fisher seemed like a wonderful person. And and the fact that it's uh, well, I mean, I love the movies. She's very funny, but the fact that she wore her mental illness and her fights with that with that on her sleeve just was like proud of it. Was uh, it, it, it? It's so great, and I've seen so many people on Twitter who maybe have to deal with some issues along those lines. That what how amazing it was to have one of the most well known actresses in the world just be out there as yeah, I'm bipolar, and you know. That that's deal with it, uh, instead of you know, from decades past where that would be like a source of shame. What a, what a wonderful person and a wonderful life, and what a horrendous horrendous loss yeah. for her to die at the age of sixty. She was an inspiration in in so many ways. Uh, Princess Leia was just one a very small part of what she contributed. I can't help but I, and again, I don't mean to make light of the, of her dying, but it, as a Star Wars nerd, you can't help but think too. Good God, this is going to change the the new trilogy. Yeah. yeah, I wonder what they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, General Organa was in many ways the full the fullness of that character, right? And how weird is it going to be next year going to see Episode Eight where she's in it? Yeah, and you know how sad that is. I don't know. I'm trying to think. I guess there was the Fast and Furious movie where uh, Paul, whatever Paul Weller, died. Yeah in a car accident in between filming, I guess they weren't finished filming it. And they had to, they had to bring his brothers in to, to, you know, he apparently had some brothers who look like him and they, they came in. Um, and Brandon yeah, Lee and the crow. Be, I mean, there's, there's, there's it's just very few be a examples. Real, it's just going to be a real kick in the, I mean, forget about whatever it means for episode nine with whether she was going to be in it or not, but it's just going to be what a kick in the pants is going to be again in a year when episode eight comes out. And all of a sudden, the first time you see her on screen, there's that uh, sinking yeah. feeling in your gut of, uh, you know, who knows? I presumably, I'm just guessing. I have no idea. No spoilers. This is just a guess. But presumably, she's going to see Luke in the movie, and there's going to be like a hug. And wow, they haven't seen each other in forever. And it's supposed to be this happy moment in the film. And yeah. meanwhile, I'll be in the theater, like ready to cry. Well, yeah, <laughs> because she's dead. And just even just her Twitter commentary was was absolutely priceless. It's a, it's I, could you read it? I had such a hard time reading. It. it was almost like to me like deciphering a puzzle. I, I almost enjoyed it like like solving like a little mini five by five word word game. Well, as you, know, you said, like I a, mean she 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 sacrificed her privacy to try to help people. 
and, and that's yeah. incredibly noble. She used to, for those who don't know her tweets, she'd substitute uh, like every emoji possible, including like the word combination ones. Like her her, her tweets are like this weird mishmash of yeah. prose and emoji. Yeah, that, incredibly you know. forthright though. Yeah. Well, happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, happy guys. holidays. Uh, thank you for doing this. Thanks. It's become a mini tradition to do the year in review with you. Uh, thank you. I love it every year. Well, I'll uh, see you soon. I hope. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Renee. All right. Thanks, John.